Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team. This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is Ace Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Oh, hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh, boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live as we're going to get you ready for the Athletics and the New York Yankees as the Athletics continue their road trip in the Bronx, taking on the Yanks for three. We're going to see Sears, Rusinski, Moeller up against Nasty Nestor. Going to have Schmidt going for the Yankees on Tuesday. Brito will go on Wednesday. So two night games, then a day game on Wednesday. A's and Yankees. Plus, we got a lot going on in Major League Baseball. But today is going to be about Vita Blue. And we are going to pay tribute to... One of the great A's and one of the great superstars of his time. Raleigh Fingers is going to join us in moments. We're going to have Raleigh in moments? Correct. Over the phone, Raleigh. But, yes, Raleigh in moments. That's fine. Anyway, anywhere you can get the Hall of Famer. Raleigh Fingers at 105. Joe Rudy at 115. Marty Lurie. Uh, who knew Vita very well. Marty worked around the A's for years, now over at KMBR, but as we say, one of our baseball historians. He'll be here at 1.30. David Feldman, our A's historian, at 2 o'clock. A's Hall of Famer Dave Stewart at 2.30. And they'll win. We'll, then we will replay, which was probably, as a formal interview, probably Vita Blue's last interview that I was able to do with him celebrating the 73 team. We did the interview after there was little scrums going on with media people, but a sit-down, just 
full-fledged interview. I don't know what he did after we interviewed him. I know there was media people asking questions, but this is pretty – I'd have to think his last formal sit-down interview that he ever did. Yeah, and it was April 15th, I think, is when we did it. So it, was, it wasn't even a month ago. So – but I'm glad we were able to get, catch up with Vida. Well, and today is a day that we celebrate the man. And I know it's sad, but knowing Vida, if you look at all the old players, Vida Blue was someone I actually knew. I've known Vida for 30 years. I did stuff with Vida Blue very early in my career in the mid mid, mid to kind of like 97, 98 at KMBR with him. Uh, I've known Vida for a long, long time. Done TV with him, did a lot of radio with him, done countless interviews. He was just such a great man. Vita Blue was such a caring, generous person who, you know, you, you, you hear it in his interviews all the time where he just talked about, you know, Mansfield, Louisiana, being a being a small town boy, he was that guy. No matter how, no matter the star he was, he was that guy. And we literally, as you just said, did an interview with him. Then I got to talk with him after, and it's hard to believe he's gone. It really is. But even in the last, you're going to hear it in the last interview. Just, just you know, his mindset and and. So appreciative to be there with his brothers, his teammates. These guys were these guys were like brothers. That's the one thing I'm so happy for Vida that he got to do one last event. One last event. And he did not look well. And we were told uh, by the woman he was with, I don't know exactly their relationship, but she was she said, Oh, he's gonna get better. Because we had just seen him X amount of months earlier when we celebrated the 72 team, and Vida was fine. When we were doing the 72 thing, I mean, if you remember, we had all the players, if you're a season ticket holder, uh, we did that event, and we had all the players in all the seats, and Vida was there, and he was fine. Do we have Raleigh? Raleigh, it's Chris Townsend. How are you? Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. And I know we just spoke with you recently at the 1973 reunion. Um, I hate to bring you back under these circumstances. It's obviously a very tough day in the A's family. Vita Blue meant so much to so many people. Such a great person. <laughs> and I know he was a close friend of yours. Oh, yeah. I, I knew uh, I've known Vita ever since Scully. When he first came up, uh, I think he came up at the end of the season in 69 and went back to the minor leagues. And, and he, uh, he brought him up at the end of the season, I think in 19, uh, I think it was 1970. And uh, he proceeded to throw a no-hitter, I think, the first or second start that he, that he had. He just blew away the twins. So he was, he was certainly um, a great young pitcher. And uh, you could see that he was, uh, he was ready for stardom. Yeah, you know, it's always so interesting to me about Vida, Raleigh, was that as big of a star that he became, the the small-town boy from Louisiana never left. That was always fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. No, he, uh, 
he loved the fans, and uh, he had uh, you know he had no sign, he had no problem signing autographs for kids. I don't I don't think I ever saw him turn down an autograph for a kid. So uh, he was very accessible to the public, uh, and the people loved him. And uh, uh, you know when he pitched, uh, we usually uh, we usually filled up the ballpark when he pitched, especially after he threw his no hitter. Everybody wanted to see another one. He he was amazing. Nineteen nineteen seventy one. Uh, that year, uh, he was uh, unhittable. He was uh, amazing for a rookie for a rookie player. I mean, I would go down to the bullpen and and watch him warm up before he start, and uh, I just walk back to the dugout and say, "Boys, game over," because he's throwing everything 97, 98 miles an hour, hitting the glove with every pitch. Uh, had a good cut fastball, good sinking fastball, good velocity, great big curveball. I mean, he'd lock your knees with a curveball uh, if you were a left-hander. So uh, he had great stuff, and in 71, um, uh, he had an unbelievable year, won the Cy Young MVP, won everything. And then um, I think one of his biggest downfalls was, was his second year in 72, he got into a, a contract dispute with Charlie Finley, and Charlie kept him out of spring training. He started late, uh, didn't, have a real, didn't have a real good year. I think he was only won six or seven ball games, And I think that really hurt him, not being able to to come to spring training and get me in shape with the, with the rest of the guys for that season. You know, we don't, we magazines aren't what they used to be. And when we try and tell the younger generation of A's fans, just how big of a star he became here, he is just not on sports illustrated and baseball digest. I mean, he's on the cover of time magazine. He's on the cover of newsweek you know, we didn't have cable television, and we didn't have all that different stuff. Just talk about how fast, really, Vita Blue and Oakland A became a household name and a star. Well, he uh, that year in uh, 71 that he had, uh, he was uh, just beating everybody. And, uh, uh, and the press would, I mean, the press and the fans at the ballpark, there would be an extra 10, 15,000 people at the ballpark every time he pitched. Because uh, he was a phenom in in '71. Uh, I mean, he was uh, it was just unbelievable the the stuff that he had and the way he pitched. And I mean, he carried us through the '71 season into the into the playoffs. And I, I think we won 102 ball games that year. Uh, it was crazy. And um, I think one of the other things that probably um, in '71, uh, Dick Williams uh, only let him length the last two two uh, starts he had during the season. Uh, they only let him go five innings. And then they took him out uh, because they were getting them wanted to get him ready for the playoffs. They didn't want him pitching nine innings, but he was so strong that that uh, you know he could he could probably throw a heck of a lot more than five innings. And he, I think if he if he would have thrown more innings towards the end of that season, he would have probably had a better uh, a better postseason that year. We got beat by Baltimore in uh, in three games, but uh, he was a he was a workhorse. I mean, he was strong. Uh, you go out there and, and he no problem him throwing more. I mean, I remember one ball game against the Angels. Uh, he started against Rudy May, and he went 12, 12 shutout innings, and the score is nothing to nothing after 12. And I came in to relieve him, and I pitched seven innings, and uh, the score still nothing to nothing. <laughs> so he was a strong guy, and uh, he, I, he, had to, he had to have close to 150 complete games in his career. So he was, he was a workhorse. He could go out there and go nine easy. And he was a terrific athlete. I mean, could have played college football as a quarterback. He was a really good hitter. I mean, all the guys were a good hitter, good hitters, really. I mean, I look at it. In 1968, on this date, 
Catfish Hunter throws a perfect game. And what's crazy also, he went he he, uh, he went three for what he drove in three of the four runs. So Catfish Hunter has a perfect game and he drives in. He has three RBIs, three out of the four runs. I mean, <laughs> you guys for and Ken Holtzman could hit. So I mean, you guys had a very not only were these guys really good pitchers, they were really good athletes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kenny Kenny was a great hitter and uh, he had a home run in the World Series. Uh, Catfish, uh, there was I think a couple of games. In '73, when they adopted the DH, that uh, Dick Williams let him let him hit in his uh, ninth spot because he he had, he had over 300, I think, in uh, one year. I think in '72 he hit over 300. So yeah, we had a pretty good uh, uh, hitting good hitting staff as far as the pitchers. We always took batting practice, and um, we had uh, we had a great uh, pitching staff that could hit. So that that helped out. But when the DH got um, uh, got got in there in '73. Um, almost all the pitchers were taken out and uh, the DH was used. But uh, Catfish was one of the few that let uh, uh, the manager let him go ahead and hit. You know, the All-Star game has changed over the years. It's truly just a glorified exhibition now. But back in your guys' day, the All-Star game was a really big deal. The entire country watched it. You guys really wanted to win it. There was truly that National League versus the American League. And Vita Blue was the first guy to start the game for the American League, start the game for the National League. He won the game for both leagues. So there was the World Series. There was the stuff with the A's. And then there was, you know, other stuff that happened in his career. He had a he, – he, I think in the end, Raleigh, he won three All-Star games. Yeah, I, I don't know his total stats, but there's probably a good chance. I know he made six or seven All-Star teams. And uh, usually, uh, when he did, he was usually the starting pitcher. So if he went the you know the mandatory three innings, uh, I'm sure he got a win. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was uh, he was always up for the big games. He could he could pitch. He uh, he knew what he was doing out there, and he had he had pretty good control. He had big good strikeout pitcher too. He he had no problem striking out 10, 11, 12 guys a game. And uh, he was uh, he was a horse. He was a workhorse horse. Well, let's end on this. I know this 73 reunion was so big uh, for you guys to see each other. And we talked to you about cherishing these moments. Um, just talk about, you know, when, when you do have that opportunity, and hopefully we're going to do it again next year celebrating 74, that you enjoy every single minute because, you know, tomorrow's promise to nobody. Well, that's for sure. I, I never thought, Dre, uh... Ray Fossey would pass away at the age he did, or Sal Bando, uh, and now Vita. You know, we lost uh, we lost three three key players during those uh, seventy two three four World Series years. So it was uh, it's been a sad uh, sad year for us as far as ballplayers uh, passing away on those three teams. But um, you know, I saw Vita at the reunion. Uh, I think it was three or four weeks ago, and he was walking with a cane. And I asked him how he was doing, and he he said that. Uh, you know, he, he, he's been dealt. He said his words were, "I think I've been dealt a bad hand." And I said, "Well, you hang in there, pal." Uh, so you know, we're trying some new type of chemotherapy, I think, with him uh, that he said. And uh, um, I don't know. I don't know how bad his cancer was at the time, but uh, uh, obviously, it was pretty bad. Well, uh, you mean so much to this franchise, to this franchise history, to the fan base. Take care of yourself. Be well. And, and hopefully we'll talk soon under better circumstances. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for calling. The great Raleigh Fingers, the Hall of Famer, the A's Hall of Famer. 
And, yeah, it's it's something that really tough. Joe Rudy's going to join us in moments. Is Joe join us uh, via satellite as we they used uh, to say back in cable television joe rudy big video guy so he's gonna he's said he'd come on over video i sent him the link every the last few times we've done with him he's been video so yeah f- satellite from i think it's Florida. we go via satellite is what they always just say on cnn <laughs> yeah well that was back before that zoom and Streamyard and all that stuff existed i mean think about that the all-star game was a major deal now it's an exhibition and we're gonna take pictures and selfies and uh, they that meant something to them to win the All Star game. It was truly because guys didn't cross leagues, guys didn't have agents, guys. Not everybody was buddies. Big Poppy was not going into the dugout talking to everybody on Fox. This was a game that they played and they wanted to win and they wanted to kick the crap out of the National League, and the National League wanted to kick the crap out of the American League. Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and those guys would play the entire game. They they came to the game to win it. And Vita Blue started. First guy, he's not the only guy to win it for both leagues, I believe, but he's the first guy to start the All-Star game when it meant something for both the American League and the National League. And won those games. I believe he's got three. Check his all-star. I think he's got three all-star wins. No, wins don't matter, huh? Uh, Vidal says, uh, Raleigh said 150 complete games. 108. Uh, Very close. 143. 143? He had 24 the year he won the MVP in science. 140. That's – I've been busting this guy's chops right over here. I know he's not in the the picture right now about pitching because, you know, everybody wants to act like, Pitching, you know, oh, you guys are all old man river in your stats. It's like, you know, when you talk about the great pitchers, and we're going to go over this the next couple days because I've really been delving into it. You know, look about what we talk about. Two wins in the All-Star Game Provider. Two wins? Yeah. Okay. Think about what we talk about. We're going to talk about his wins. We're going to talk about his innings. We're going to talk about his complete games. We're going to talk about his strikeouts. All stuff, pitchers nowadays, guys under 30, they've got no chance to get to any of this stuff like you're gonna have the you're gonna have verlander scherzer kershaw wainwright drinky drinky cole maybe yeah cole's probably the last one after that you're not you're having guys that are never gonna come anywhere near the numbers of someone like the great vita blue or the pitchers uh, of their time and the great Joe Rudy joins us. Joe, I, I we just talked to Raleigh, and same thing for you. Thank you for coming on. I know we just talked recently at the 1973 reunion. Uh, my condolences. I, I know how much Vida meant to you, how much he meant to all of us, but how much he meant to you guys. Uh, you won so much. You guys were all so close. It's got to be a tough day. <laughs> Uh, it was definitely a shock. Uh, Dietrich Page, you know, that handles all the alumni people for the for the A's. has done a great job over the years, and I know she was so close to Vida also. And she called me yesterday to tell me that he had passed away. And I was in shock. I, I just I knew that he was not doing well. I just didn't know that it was that serious when we saw him. I'm just so happy that he came. I mean, you think yeah. about uh, his condition when he came to be around the guys. I mean, that took a lot of gumption to show up and. And be there, and I'm just so so happy that he that he came to the reunion. I mean, that meant, meant everything to all of us now as we look back. Uh, it's just uh, hard hard to believe. 
I'm so glad you said that because I started the broadcast yesterday against the Kansas City Royals with that message that I think it was so special that he was able one more time to see you guys who are not only his teammates but like his brothers, for you guys to be together one more time and now knowing what's happened, how how really special that moment was celebrating the 73 team. It, it really was a great time to be together. Like I said, we lost too many of the guys already. and uh, But, you know, for him to come and spend that time with us, and uh, I knew that he wasn't doing well. I don't think any of us knew how sick he really was. And, uh, you know, he, he was there through the dinners and sitting down in the lobby with all of us, you know, talking and about the old times and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, I, I wouldn't trade the time I played for today and the money for anything because we had such a great time. You know, most of us played together for 10, 15 years, and you just yeah. don't do that anymore. And, uh, you know, all of us started out in the minor leagues more or less together, worked our way up. And, uh, you know, Vani came up, uh, you know, you reminded me so much of Reggie. I mean, how could God give one guy so much talent? And, you know, Vida was such a great athlete. He was, I think he was All-State. Uh, a lot of people were recruiting him to be a quarterback down there in football. And, um, you know, Mr. Finley was able to talk him into playing baseball, which is a great blessing for us because he sure had a great career with the A's. You know, when, when I think about a, sm <laughs> a small-town guy, you were a small-town guy, obviously from the Central Valley in California. Amazing that you small-time guys all of a sudden did some big town things and next thing you know you guys are winning world series and here comes the stardom just take us through what that was like for yourself for, for vita blue where you guys came from and now you're on the national stage year after year after year well i, I think it goes back to most of us who are so blessed to have some great people in our lives early on you know i grew up in a little small town called waterford which is about 15 miles east of modesto uh, about 100 miles, you know, east of the Bay Area there. And uh, I was very blessed uh, with the, the number of neighbor kids that were in my neighborhood. We grew up playing baseball in the street all day long, every day. And the weather was good where we could play most of the year round. And then I had some great uh, Little League uh, Babe Ruth coaches. And was, again, blessed to move to Modesto for high school. And I had a, a gentleman named Jerry Streeter who had played uh, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years in the Dodgers organization he, he, i know he spent about five or six years in triple a behind maury wills at shortstop and retired a few years before i had got to uh, downing high school and became my coach and uh, made me play shortstop of all things uh, through high school because that's where you learn the most he said you probably end up in the outfield later on and i didn't know what he meant by later on you know you're i'm a freshman sophomore kid in high school and uh he guided me along the way, and then we were blessed to, you know, sign with the Kansas City A's. People don't realize the people, you know, we had um, Hall of Fame coaches. Luke Appling, who was a, a Hall of Fame shortstop from the White Sox. Gabby Hartnett, Hall of Fame uh, catcher. Uh, and just uh, so many really, John McNamara, who was really my tutor, played double A for him, and he gave me my chance to play in 1970, went spring training in 1970. And, of course, Reggie was holding out, and, and Mac told me, he said, hey, the left field job is yours to lose. You're going to play every inning of every game of spring training, and uh, which I ended up doing and uh, was fortunate enough, you know, to run onto another great gentleman called Charlie Lau, 
who dramatically changed my approach at hitting and taught me how to hit the other way and all that stuff. And uh, again, you know, nobody makes it by themselves. You, you look back, I'm sure Biden had the same people in his life and growing up over he had down south and uh, what, a, what a great, you know, sports area that, that Louisiana is. I mean, you just look at the number of pe- great players that have come out of that area. Yeah, I think Vida, as as you mentioned, the football, just a terrific athlete, just blessed with that arm. I mean, the ability to throw. We didn't have radar guns then. We weren't tracking, but everybody knew he was throwing high nineties, if not at times triple digits. He was yeah. he was just blessed. I mean, and and it's like he had the perfect attitude, the perfect upbringing to be the aw shucks but had the great personality and could turn on the charm. So when stardom came his way, he was really young. He was good looking. It was like, bam, here you go. He had the name, Vitable. It's like everything worked, and it just, boom, he became an actual American sports star. Uh, Without a question. You know, I mean, we just got a small taste of what was to come at the end of 1970. I think he maybe had a half a dozen starts. I can't remember. I uh, can't remember if he threw a one-hitter, no-hitter, or something in there, but he did. He had a couple of really good games in, in the few starts he had at the end. I think maybe he got called up you know, the last month of the season there in 1970, and, of course, came in 1971 with uh, Dick Williams showing up as our new manager, and um, he just had such a live arm. I mean, the ball just exploded up there. And uh, 71, he was l- almost literally unhittable. I mean, he had uh, – had a great curveball and just the, the fastball had exploded. And uh, like you said, he, he he was such a great character on top of all that stuff. He always had a smile on his face and it was just a lot of fun to be around. He was another one of those guys. We had so many of them, Catfish and you know, Reggie uh, was super. Uh, all of us that sort of in the group there that uh, knew each other, you know, couldn't pull any crap on each other because we knew each other from the time we were teenagers and uh, it just worked you knew you were a big deal when you were on the road and people were paying to come see you from the opposing town that's when you know you were a big deal well i think in 71 we led the major leagues in attendance on the road i mean i I think we drew two or three million people i mean every time we played on the road that year we were packing the stands especially when vita pitched and uh, it, it was incredible. It really was the turnout and how he handled it and got through that year and uh, really didn't have a drop off. It was amazing. Well, you, you talk about you guys coming up together. It's so special that it's something that's lost in professional sports. I understand free agency and it's great for players and and for them financially for all these years. But the relationships that we just see in every sport, the player movement, you just don't have what you guys had. Just talk about what that meant as, as young men, you get brought together and you spend all those years together. You grow up together. You grow as professionals, you grow as husbands, you grow as fathers. Just talk about what that period of time was like in baseball for you guys. Well, like I said, it was so great because we all signed in that early period, went through the minor leagues together. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're all trying to live together, especially one that, that we're, we're married. And my wife, Sharon, and I got married in 1966 in Modesto. We played there. And, of course, we had Reggie and Duncan and Fingers, uh, La Russa. I think, I think there was 12 or 14 guys on that Modesto team that went to the big leagues. And the next year, we all together went to Birmingham, Alabama, 
and uh, and played baseball down there and uh, we all lived out in an apartment complex and uh, had to have team parties together which we had a few ruckuses over that but that's <laughs> another story and uh, anyway we survived playing ball in the south and uh, Reggie and I you know went up and down so I think I started the season 67 actually that left fielder in, in uh, Kansas City got sent down after the first month and played there and of course Reggie and Duncan and I went up and down a few times and so we all you know lived together so the wives are together when we were on the road and and then you know the next year we move into uh, the Bay Area with Oakland in 68 and uh, I know, you know, uh, Tennis and Fossey and Bando, myself, a bunch of us all lived out in the Danville area, Walnut Creek area, rode to the ballpark every day, took turns driving, and wives would pick each other up and go to the game together. And then, you know, it was it was just a big family thing. Like I said, you don't see those many years that we spent doing those things, to, you know, together, watching, you know, we take turns watching our kids with the had a special, you know, anniversary or something. We'd bring the kids over to our house and and we watch them, and vice versa. And uh, like I said, you get so close to the guys that uh, you know it was. Uh, I'm looking back at 19, you know, 76 when Raleigh and I invited got sold, and I never remember going in that clubhouse that night. And I was my equilibrium was totally screwed up. I mean, going from the A's one day in the same ballpark to Red Sox for Raleigh and myself, uh, you know, I, I again, I, what, 13 years, I guess I've been with A's by then. It was so hard to uh, imagine going anywhere else. And uh, again, that's one of those great things from, from playing that many years together that you get that close. Do you have a picture of you or Raleigh ever in a Red Sox uniform? I've got a few stuck away someplace. Yeah, I've had people send them to me of uh, various, you know, pictures of us there. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up not yeah. not playing that night. And of course, the commissioner overturned all three of our yeah. trades or sales, I should say. And uh, so it, it was definitely a shock. It was uh, very strange to uh, all of a sudden put on a different uniform. You were on a team that you never played for. <laughs> exactly. It was uh, it was strange. You know, uh, Daryl Johnson was uh, DJ was a manager of uh, of the Red Sox, and he lived out not too far from us, and actually went duck hunting with him on quite a few times in the, in the off season. So he and his wife were good friends of ours, and uh, he told me he said somehow, some way, I'm going to get your butt over here, and uh, I'm not quite sure how he pulled. You know, got the the owner to go for that but uh it was i think it, that trade would have stayed and i can't imagine the red Sox and the yankee battles back then with having the raleigh fingers coming out of the bullpen well i'll tell you what i know for the fans these reunions and i know 72 you had the flight problems but uh, i know i know for the fans it's a big deal but what it means to you guys and, and that's the thing i just i'm so glad vita got to be there and we get to cherish the moments and you guys with your families being there in 73 and hopefully we're going to do it again for 1974 because we we truly we truly have to celebrate you guys your time together as players and as champions truly cherish it and because i know it means so much to you guys because you know you can't say it enough and we'll end on this that you know you guys just weren't teammates you were like brothers well, when you spend that much time together and and from an early age growing up and having children and 
you know, getting into your thirties at uh, a lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> well, it's, it's always great to have you on. I hate to bring you on uh, under these circumstances, but thank you so much for taking the time there in Florida. You've always been so good to us here on A's cast. Be well. and Let's talk later on during the season. Okay, we'll see you in August. Plan on being out there for uh, for the guys going in in August. So it's uh, very nice of the A's to do all this and, and you know bring back the guys for the times that we have. So definitely looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Take care, Joe. Thank you. You too. God bless. The great Joe Rudy, A's Hall of Famer, three-time World Series champion, class act can't say it enough and at some point i don't know when we're going to do this but um we're going to tell you the story we were very fortunate we had a suite there in mount davis so all the suites were set up for the players and their families talk about the 73 reunion we had our own suite where they were bringing the players in and in a little bit we'll tell the story as i'm interviewing reggie jackson they bring vita blue in in a wheelchair and then after the interview, Vida ends up standing up and getting to see Vida and Reggie Jackson interact as it was very obvious they hadn't seen each other in a long, long time. I mean, wouldn't you say, Cody, it was a, uh, as they say, a priceless moment? Oh, yeah, the, both their reactions, especially Reggie, because Reggie's eyes just lit up when he saw yeah. when he saw Vida walk in. So it was, it was good to see all them. It was really good to see Vida. I know it's unfortunate because we had no idea that, you know, a few weeks later this would happen. But it was good to, good, it was good to see him and all those guys get to see each other again when, uh, celebrating him 50 years later. Well, if you're going to have a show like this, you got to have somebody that has the historical perspective. And, you know, we like to bring him on for a lot of different things. But I think today was a day that we had to have Marty Lurie on. Because uh, no one knows this game. No one knows Bay Area baseball. No one knows the game of baseball, the history of it, the history of the A's, the history of the Giants, which Vita Blue is a big part of. He is a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. The great Marty Lurie is with us here on A's Cast Live. It's a tough day, Marty, but I think we all knew, knew Vita well enough that he'd want us to celebrate his life, and I think that's what we need to do today. Well, that's what Vita did in his whole life. He celebrated it. Uh, he brought such magnetism to the room. Uh, <clears throat> when you look at the heart of those teams, and it's just what a lineup today. I don't know why I'm on with this lineup. This is amazing just to hear Joe Ro Rudy talk. <clears throat> but Vita, what he did in 1971, sort of got got everybody going. Uh, as it, Because they turned into world champions. In 71, of course, they lost to the Orioles in the playoffs, but what Vita accomplished in 71 and the way he did it and the way he captured the whole country and the Bay area and the team, it, he was the mega star. It wasn't Reggie. It wasn't Sal Bando. It wasn't Gene Tennis. wasn't Joe catfish or any of those people in 1971. It was Vita blue and Vita blue was just the, the part of this team that became nationally known. And then things happened after that where they won some World Series. Of course, uh, a dynasty happened. But what Vita brought to the table was this authenticity that, wow, this guy is amazing. This is one of the best pitchers we've ever seen in our lives. And he's part of the Oakland A's. And then they went from there and, of course, won the championship. So for me, 
Vita brought something special to the ball club. When he came up in 1970, Chris, he threw a one-hitter against Kansas City, and he said, okay, how about the next game? A no-hitter against Minnesota. And that was 1970, so we couldn't wait to see this kid. And then he comes back in 71 and is just fabulous. Goes to the All-Star game and starts that game and and all the comments about him on Time magazine and this magazine and that magazine. He was a national treasure. And what gets me about him is that that was the beginning of the Oakland A's dynasty when Vita stood up and said, hey, I'm the best in the world and my team is the best too. I And, and it's tough to tell the younger crowd because magazines are not a big deal. But back in those days, when you're talking time, you're talking Newsweek, this not sports sp- this, yeah, Sports Illustrated, Baseball Digest, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was on Ebony too, but – Time in Newsweek, the circulation was so unbelievable. And to have him as a young African-American pitcher, pitching for the Oakland A's on the cover, the name Vita Blue was unique. He became a household name. He was a star. I heard um, Barack Obama, President Obama, was talking about when he was growing up that all of a sudden like he was into baseball. And even though he was a White Sox fan, it was like Vita Blue. I mean, when you have the president of the United States talking about, I grew up a big Vita Blue fan. I, you know, for for everything that's going on in our Oakland world, I think it's hard for people to realize how big of a star a household name. No cable television, no internet, no social media, and he was a bona fide American sports star. Well, and not only that, but he he put Oakland on the map. Don't forget, the ball club got here in 1968. So it's 1969, 1970, they're getting a little bit better. And then in 1971, he put Oakland on the map. Who knew about the Oakland A's at that point? In 71, they win the division. And Vita Blue was was the star. He was the national star of this ball club. And look, if you went to games, and I got to the Bay Area in May of 1972. Now, of course, Vita has the dispute the holdout with Charlie yeah. Finley at that point. And, uh, you know, Charlie says, well, I'm not going to sign you. And Vita says, all right, I'm going to sell plumbing supplies. You know, so now he's not playing for half the season. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. It was it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Now, here's Vita Blue in the season he comes off of, and Charlie's not going to pay him. All right. So, meanwhile, he then gets signed, and now he's – going through a spring training, whatever it is, and now he's getting ready to pitch. Well, Charlie would have these half-price nights on Monday night, and you'd have like 50,000 people there. And I think I can remember maybe the first game I ever went to at the Oakland Coliseum, and it had to be the summer of 1972. I went to see Vita pitch, and it was 50,000 people there, 50,000 or 40,000, whatever the capacity was, it was filled up. And I sat down the right field line. The sun was in my eyes. I was right by the foul pole on the second deck in the right field line, that little part of the deck that went over uh, onto the field. Couldn't see anything. But I couldn't wait to get to the park for the electricity and the excitement of Vita Blue. And that's how I got initiated into Oakland A's baseball in 1972. And then the big thing about Vita, people have to remember, 72 was kind of a lost year for him because he didn't have a spring training and he didn't obviously pitch. 
uh, very much during the year. But when they played the Tigers in the world in the uh, playoffs, it was a tremendous playoff. This is where Campy throws the bat at Laren Legros and Billy Martin, and then, you know it's a crazy Willie Horton. The whole situation was nuts. Well, it came down to Game Five in Detroit. They have Campy had to be with a police escort in the hotel, and it was it was just nuts. So Blue Moon gets the start in uh, in Game Five, and it's huge. This is to win the pennant. And it's in Detroit. Detroit, the, and the place is going nuts because of the whole campy Laren Legros incident. Well, Blue Moon goes in about six innings, and then he couldn't pitch anymore. The emotion of the moment overcame Blue Moon. He couldn't pitch. Well, who did they go to? Vita Blue. And that's when Vita Blue took the ball, bailed out Blue Moon, his friend, and went the remainder of that game and put the A's into the World Series and the rest is history. But 72 for Vida, those innings that he pitched in game five against the Tigers, maybe the biggest innings he pitched in his life. Well, I, I just think of the historical part of his career, and you have to talk about the All-Star game, as the All-Star game back then really meant something. The country cared about the All-Star game. They cared who won the All-Star game. The players oh, yeah. The players cared. It was National League versus American League. They were two different entities. The National League had its own president. The American League had its own president. They were different, and they were coming to play. And <laughs> Vita Blue started the game as a A. He started the game as a giant. He won the game as an American League pitcher and a National League pitcher. So we could talk World Series awards. He also has his own all-star history. Well, the 71 All-Star game was unbelievable. You got to remember, Vida grew up in Mansfield, Louisiana, and his dad died when he was in high school. Vida was a great quarterback. He could have been a fabulous quarterback in those days. His grandfather used to sit on the porch and tell him about Jackie Robinson and about the integration of baseball and things like that. We're talking about Mansfield, Louisiana here. And Vida, when he got to pitch in 1971, there's some interviews with him about facing Willie Mays and facing Hank Aaron and facing Clemente. And Vida, just to hear his voice and know the pride he had and the honor he had of pitching for the American League against those players that he grew up watching and idolizing and understanding who they were and what they meant to the game was huge. And he went out and started that All-Star game as a 21-year-old. Unbelievable. It really is one of the great... It's still one of the great moments of baseball history when you look at the lineups of those two teams and how many Hall of Famers were there. And, of course, we remember the home run that Reggie hit off of Doc Ellis that not only went out of the stadium but hit the transformer that was not down the line. It was in, like, right center field. Bob. That's, that's how far <laughs> Reggie hit it. He didn't pull it down the line because people did that. They knocked it out yeah. on cash. You hit it out and all that. But Reggie hit it in right center and hit the transformer. That ball would have gone, who knows, 550 feet, whatever it was. But it was a great game, and Vita started that game. And I know in his heart what it meant to him to be pitching against Willie Mays. 
And of course, he had heard so much about Willie from his family. And by, by the way, um, happy birthday, Willie Mays. I mean, you talk about the greatest living player that we have. have was it happy 92? Amazing. Yep. yep. Yeah, 92 on Saturday. And uh, again, like Vita, you know, Philippe Lou uh, taught me something and taught Ron Wotus something. Uh, and I talk to Will all the time, you know, on the show on Sunday mm-hmm. mornings. And he said, show me the man first, then the player. And I think that applied to Willie and that applied to Vida. Uh, they were exceptional men uh, in their own way, in different ways of relating to the world. But uh, they were amazing people. And then you look at what they accomplished in baseball. Uh, it's, it's just beyond belief. Uh, for Willie, people ask me, what was the best thing about Willie? I think running the bases, Chris, if you know, and I lived in Florida in the 1960s and, you know, I didn't see giant games on TV. You know, they were at candlestick. Wait, they put our game- you didn't have the baseball package. You didn't have the app back in those <laughs> yeah, days to watch the there games. Was no app. There was nothing. <laughs> you had All to you read, get- you had to read a book about this stuff. You were lucky. You got to see, if you were lucky, you got yeah. to see a game on Saturday. And, but you'd never see a game from very rarely from candlestick because of the time change and all that. So when I said to Willie, I, you know, and I did so many shows with him uh, and he chose me to be his interviewer, uh, which is the biggest honor I think of my life that Willie chose me to do that. And we did a number of shows in front of thousands of people. And, uh, I said to Willie, were you any good? And he says, that was all right. I said, okay. And so I said to myself, what, what did I remember about Willie? And it was the all-star games. Willie Mays took over the all-star game. He took it over. You, you, you watched it. He would lead off. He'd get a triple. He would steal a base. He'd hit a home run. It didn't matter. Walter Alston was the manager of the all-star team. And he would say to Willie, Willie, what do you think about the lineup today? And Willie would say, Walter, lead me off hit Hank Aaron second and Clemente third. I don't care what you do after that. And that, that was the way <laughs> Willie was. And, you know, he gave, uh, he gave Alvin Dark the signals of what pitches to throw from center field. Uh, he just took over a ball game, but it was his base running. I did a show with Harry Callis, remember the wonderful oh, yeah. broadcaster for the Phillies. Mickey and Morandini. And worked for the uh, Houston Astros in the 60s. And uh, I said to in those days, I was doing it for the A's, you know, memories of the game. I did a memory of the game every every show. And I had Harry on. I said, Harry, what's your favorite baseball memory? And he said it was Willie Mays and running the bases. That was what Harry Callis said to me. And this was probably in 2004, three, somewhere in that range when I was doing those shows. So uh, Willie just touched everybody with the he was dynamic with the power the speed, the arm. He threw somebody out at home, Maury Wills, threw somebody out at third. This is the same game. And had to throw to second to get the runner on second, but Tito Fuentes dropped the ball. and Otherwise, he would have had someone thrown out at just about every base. So uh, that's, that's what people think about Willie, and that's what they remember about him. But these two players, Vida, what he accomplished – as 209 wins and what he accomplished in 1971. And if he had, if it was a different time, different ownership, different union, different rights for the players, 
who knows what Vida would have accomplished, but Charlie really took the heart out of him uh, by not paying him in 1972. And that, that's something I think that Vida still regrets, uh, did regret for his whole life. And you two did a famous video together. Oh, yeah, boy, that is interesting. I got a text from Vince Catronio um, the other day. Same thing uh, from we, me, if you remember back. Yeah. What this was. Well, well, let, this me, was let, a, let, let, let me tell the story real quick. So I, I'm in Kansas City with the Raiders. All right. And we're, we're, I can't remember what time of the year it was, but so I'm in Kansas City. And obviously, there is a little significance between my family and Jackie Robinson as. Jackie Robinson in his very first at bat grounded out to my grandfather. And there's something about it in the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. And I've always wanted to go. And it's a Saturday. I got nothing to do. So I immediately go over. I'm at the Negro League Museum. And, I, and I'm and i going through that first part of the timeline of it, right? And then all of a sudden I hear, I hear, I hear two voices. And I'm looking around. I'm like, that's Marty Lurie. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's that high pitch. I'm like, that's Vita Blue, and I'm and it's like weird. I'm like in Kansas City, and I'm here in Marty Lurie, and I I walk into this room, and there's this video that you guys do, and I immediately texted you, going, "I'm listening <laughs> to you at the Negro League Museum in Kansas City." I can't tell you how many people have have done that, and the the story was crime of the century, and it's the story of Lester Rodney who was a sports writer who advocated for the integration of baseball in the 30s and in the early 40s. And he was never really recognized for what he did because he was the sports editor of the Daily Worker, the communist paper. And because of that, he, he didn't get the recognition from the other sports writers. But he was the one who pushed the hardest for the integration of baseball, Lester Rodney. And it's a great story. So they did a documentary about it, and they asked me to be the voice of Lester Rodney. So they, we had some of his columns that he wrote for the Daily Worker about why baseball should integrate challenging. Judge Landis, where are you? Baseball, why don't you grow up? Baseball, why don't you recognize African-American players? These kind of columns. And I would read from the column. That was my voice for Lester Rodney. And Vida was the voice of Satchel Page. So we would go back and forth and they would tell the story. And uh, that's how the video came together. But it plays at the Negro League Museum. Uh, it is on a loop there. And I can't tell you how many people yeah. have heard it. And again, when I think of all the things that have happened in my life around baseball, there's so many honors. that That's right up there with the biggest honor as well. Uh, being chosen to be the voice of Lester Rodney. I said, why me? They said, well, he was from New York. You're from New York. You love baseball. He loved baseball. And I got to meet Lester Rodney. I, I did a nice interview with him, and I played it on, on the A show. Uh, you know, I did so many interviews. Um, but that, that was a good moment. That was a nice moment. You know, I, I, I think about Vida as he got older. And Vida did a lot of television did a lot of radio, and, yeah. and you can speak to this. A lot of the people that he worked with, Vita Blue was just an older player that they kept hearing about. Ah, he won the MVP, won the Cy Young, he won the World Series. And 
somehow that can really ruffle older players when they're working with younger people who didn't see them play. They don't know about their greatness. Vida was so generous and kind, even with the young people who really didn't know how great he was. Just talk about as he got older and he started to do TV, and he was great on TV because, you know, he's Vita Blue. He had he, he had charisma. He had the great sense of humor. People don't mention that enough. He had an outstanding sense of humor, but he was just always so cool to everybody when a lot of older players that might have kind of ruffled their feathers that they're working with these young people who really don't know how good they were. No, he never big-leagued anybody. Boom. That's it. He never big-leagued anybody. He was genuine. He was he was a genuine person when we met. I met him first in 1987 when I was doing Giants Vision. I was programming the board in 1987, going from court in a suit to his candlestick doing this stuff. I had played softball with the people who ran Giants Vision. And I got to meet Vida. And I, one of my favorite pictures is Vida with my son, Evan, who's about nine years old at that point. And Ev's sitting there and Vida's got his arm around him and just a big, big, happy feeling uh, of, of the two of them in that picture. You could tell how genuine Vida was and how excited Evan was to be in a picture with Vida. And that's who he was. Um, it just didn't matter who you were. Uh, he would kid around. He did the, the ad for me for Nations uh, on the show. Yeah. That, that You know, of course, you know that. Yeah. And uh, nations would give out these little certificates, you know, for free hamburger, free strawberry pie, whatever. And I'd give him the Vita. And then he would turn around and give him the kids. He would give them the other people. And that's what he did. Uh, there was just a, a, a real feeling. You know how you talk to people and sometimes you talk to them and they're looking through you and they're not really engaged with you in the moment. He was engaged in the moment with you. Whenever you talked with him, you, you were engaged with him. Raph does my show, like Cody does yours. Cody does a fabulous job. And uh, Raph would be there and, and Vida would come into the studio. And, you know, Raph is a big Chicago Bears fan. And Vida would go, hey, how about your Bears today? <laughs> and, um, you know, he was always something. There was a guy in the gym who talked too much. And Vida said, we're going to call you the mayor from now on. Uh, there was just... He didn't, if you didn't tell me Vita Blue was a major leaguer, I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know it. But he was a major league person. And that's what I'll always remember about him. I had a conversation with him one time, you know, because basically Vita was so unique being a star and that he starred for the A's and the Giants. But later on, everything was really, you know, he worked for the Giants. He worked around the Giants. I know there was a part of him, and I we had that conversation. It did hurt that the A's way back when didn't celebrate their former no. players, especially from the 70s, because really all that should have been done on the other side of the bay. He was a three-time World Series champion, the MVP, the Cy Young, the All-Star game. All of his <laughs> true greatness was really with the A's. I, I know, and you know, I'm not trying to divide A's versus Giants or anything. It's just I, I know that kind of bugged him that – Later on, everything wasn't about A's. Everything he did was just Giants. Well, it's it's the way the A's marketed uh, in those days. And I've said this so many times. Uh, you think about a fantasy camp. 
How about going with Raleigh Fingers and Joe Rudy and Sal Bando and Campy Campanaris and Catfish and, and uh, Ken Holtzman? I mean, think about it. Those, those are mega, mega, mega stars. The history of the Ace franchise in that in early years of Oakland in the, the 70s are mega stars. The Giants did not have people like that. The Giants celebrated Mays, McCovey, Marischal, Perry, Cepeda. They were gone in the 60s, but these guys took over in the 70s, but the A's never quite marketed them properly. Uh, I would love to be in a fantasy camp with those guys, and I no was. Doubt. I was. I mean, to, to be there, I never understood why the A's couldn't market their history better than they did. It, it was just a crime, honestly, that they didn't. But I, I, I do think what we do now that we finally, you know, we just honored yeah. 72, yeah. 73. And I was so happy now that Vitus passed just to think, you know, it wasn't just a few weeks ago. We honored the 73 team. The fact that he got to be with his brothers, his teammates one more time before he yeah. passed for them and for him. I know he was sick. He was not doing well, but it meant so much for Vita one last time to be with these guys. It was huge. It was huge. And I haven't seen Vita for a while and haven't talked to him for a while. But through Bill Lasky, I would hear how Vita was doing. I knew he was very, very, very sick. And uh, for him to show up and to be part of 1973, he had lost a lot of weight. He was probably down to 140, 150 pounds at that point. But to be there and be part of that celebration was fabulous. And just to see some of the pictures and to know to hear your description uh, with Cody of, of when Vida and Reggie yeah. hugged. It was, it was chilling for me to hear it. it. Gave me goosebumps to hear it. So those are the moments of life where baseball, we are a community. We're a family. Everything that goes on within the world of baseball touches everyone. We, this is our community. Vita Blue was a major part of our community. And to see how the community has embraced him now and has supported everyone who has such grief about his passing is wonderful. And then to hear how the community of his friends and teammates embraced him on that day makes it all worthwhile. That's who we are. We're a baseball community, no matter what happens. Yeah, and at 3 o'clock, I did a sit-down interview with him, which I think is probably his last sit-down official interview. Uh, yeah. We're going to play it at 3 o'clock. People will be able to watch it, listen to it. Um, such a special yeah. man. Well, you know how much you've meant to my career. You know what yeah. you've meant to the A's fan base. You know what you've meant to the Giants fan base. I mean, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's what you've meant to the entire Bay Area baseball fan base because there's the people that remember triple-A baseball and what baseball used to be like and, and the the history of the Giants and the Dodgers in New York or the A's in Kansas City and Philadelphia. You've been really the only one on a regular basis for all these years to have the answers, to have the interviews, to have the thoughts, uh, what you've meant to Bay Area baseball. What's why you got a bobblehead, and it's why you're uh, why you're a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. You, what you've meant to all of us means so much. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. And, and uh, you know, I've, no one has done more for A's, radio, TV, information for the fans than you. 
and I've told you this for years, uh, you know, and I did shows from 1998 through 2009. I was on every single day producing my own show, doing my own thing, but no one can come close to what you've done uh, of, of continuing the story of the Oakland A's under all sorts of circumstances. You've never wavered and you've shown your love for baseball. So you're really the guy, Chris, uh, you, you're the guy of the moment, and uh, you, you got your pitch. You didn't miss it, and the A's are so lucky to have you there. They really are. I got to tell you, that means a lot. That means a lot. Oh, uh, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, there, there is no one who's – and I listen to you after a game, uh, and you and the captain kick it around, and it could be the most miserable game in the world. <laughs> and then you yeah. come on. And here's, and I call the captain, Ken Korak, the captain, because he took over for Bill King. When Bill died, Ken had to step up. He had to be the captain of the ship. So I call him the captain. But to listen to you guys make sense of a game for the fans and not complain about this and that, but to talk baseball with, with an uplifting voice and Ken with his voice, I think it's a highlight for me. I almost wait for that part for when he can be with you to recap the game. And you, you bring that to the table, Chris, and there's no one, I've, I've been around ace baseball for 50 years. I, I worked as hard as I could from 1996 to 2009 with the A's, for the A's, doing all the shows, but nobody comes close to the heart of what Oakland A's baseball like you. And it's really pretty, pretty special, man. Well, pretty as special. you know, it's, whether the times we're in now, I mean, all the years, all the stations, all the drama, all the, and, you know, everything that's going on now, it's hard not to be emotional. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not easy, as you know. It's really not to do it every day and to try and keep <laughs> it in between the lines and the players and the, the you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't, I don't think people really understand. So no. your words don't are very kind. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, they'll never understand what it is to put these shows together and make sure someone shows up on time <laughs> to have your content ready uh, because it's entertainment. And to be able to come on with that enthusiasm, because that's what baseball is. People want to know they're going to go to the game with a friend. And that's what you bring to this broadcast. When I come, when Cody calls or you call and say, what would you like to be on? Absolutely. Because I'm talking baseball with a friend. And that's what the great broadcasters can do. The great people in baseball can do. It, it keeps us together because we enjoy it every day. Every day we get another game. It's another story. But I get to do it with you. Or I get to listen to Ken. And that's, it's huge to be able to do that. And folks should understand it is not easy to do it. I've been doing it for 27 years, and I'm telling you, it's my own show, and I got to book the guests and get the guests and, and do the whole thing, set up the equipment and all that stuff. And it was, it was crazy, but we do it because we love the fans. I like the fans, and you like the fans too. I love when you talk to the fans and they call up. You like the fans. I like getting the calls. I like to talk to the fans, and that's what you bring to the table also. And they're lucky, Chris. They're lucky to have you. And you have the baseball roots. Your grandfather, MVP of the National League, Bob Elliott, in 1947. 
He was a Pacific Coast League star. He was a World Series star with the Boston Braves. And I mean, come on, with that background, you better live up to it. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. You be well. Uh, anytime. You know that. The great Marty Lurie. Baseball, you think about it, Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer, but he's bigger than that. He made me cry. Yeah, I haven't even been able to do that. And I, I'm not even. I'm, that was that was very nice of Marty to say that. Yeah, that was emotional. He's a special man, no doubt. Not to say our next next guest's not a special man. It's like from one historian to another. How are you, David Feldman? Yeah, I'm not going to make you cry. Yeah, don't make me cry. No. No, but here's the thing, and I love Marty. I've known Marty for a long time. Marty, uh, you talk baseball for a living. Nobody cares how hard it is. You're fine. You know what I'm saying? You're not breaking. You're not breaking a sweat, Marty. You're, you're all right. We're not getting a sunburn, and we're not getting calluses. That's what I'm. There's no heavy lifting. Where Where are you today, by the way? What are you doing? What 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 is your world? Are you Are you Are you Pac-12? Are you NBA? What are you doing today? I am at the uh, Turner Broadcasting Studios in Atlanta, uh, getting ready to do the uh, TBS Tuesday night game of the week tomorrow. Uh, they have uh, the Red Sox versus the Braves. So uh, it's a lot of buzz going on here because obviously the Warriors are on TNT tonight. Yeah. So Shaq and Charles and Kenny, they're all walking around the halls here somewhere. If, if people don't know, it's amazing. You fly out to Atlanta, no matter where the game is, you fly out to Atlanta once a week to do this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I'd rather be at the ballpark, but this is the new reality that we that we have now. Uh, we do a lot of remote productions. And so every week, no matter where the Tuesday night game is, I'm in Atlanta. I'm in the Atlanta studios. Uh, I'm starting to recognize the flight attendants on the planes. Yeah. Uh, the TSA agents are all giving me a big hi. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we, I have no idea what time it is, but other than that, it's great. We, we've we been talking about Vita Blue, and we'll get into Vita, but it's something that I've been addressing because I'm like old man River when talking about pitching, but Vita helps me explain this. It, it's like historical figures, there's certain things that they did that make them historical figures, right? And there's certain things that lead to other things. Like people want to tell you wins don't matter, but now I start looking at a guy like Vida, and we look at innings pitch. We look at strikeouts. Like, to become an all-time great, you've got to do things. You've got to have this volume, which all of that helps lead to wins, but we'll stay away from wins. And, and speaking of all the different sports that you've done for all these different years, I've been saying, you know, every game has an object, whether it's a basketball, it's a baseball, it's a football, it's a hockey puck. The stars are are the guys that handle the object. They're the stars. When we're watching the Warrior game, the guys who have the ball the most, Steph Curry, LeBron James, they're the stars, right? We see it in football. The quarterbacks handling the football to the running back to the wide receivers. It's the stars. We're getting to a point in baseball where the guy that handles the ball, it's now just an assembly line of no-name relievers. And to me, when we look at, you know, how we sell the game, how we view the game, how people love the game, people from all around the country wanted to see this fireballer, this young left-hander. His name's Vita Blue, just the name alone and the stats. I want to pay my money to go watch Vita Blue pitch. 
I don't care if my team's the Tigers or it's the Twins or it's the Yankees or whatever. Vita Blue put butts in the seats on the road because he was a starting pitcher. I'm afraid for baseball. This young generation like Cody, I don't think they get it. Like, the guy who handles the ball should be important. And if somehow baseball, we're historically with starters, we don't even really have star closers anymore. It's like I, it, baseball's changed so much. We we don't we're not going twenty years from now. Will we have like a Vita Blue? No. And what worries me is is what we saw last week with with Mason Miller. Not the fact that he got pulled with a no hitter in the after seven innings. That offended me. Uh, I understand why, because that's the world we live in now, the way we protect these players. But this is what kind of bothered me, is Mason Miller thought he was coming out after six. He didn't even think he was going to get the seventh because that's how we are teaching starting pitchers now. We are not teaching starting pitchers to go nine innings. Starting pitchers have this imaginary number of 100, right, that was just sort of plucked out of That's going to be the magic number, 100. And if you get to 100 pitches, well, then you're going to be done. Um, and that's the mindset pitchers are being brought up in. And that's, that's like, okay now. For, for me, that's not okay. If you're the starting pitcher, if you were a Vita Blue or a Dave Stewart or a Tim Hudson, you were going to go nine innings because that's your job. You were to start the game and you end the game. That's what you're trying to do, and that's your mindset. And you started to see a change over the last 20, 25 years where, oh, no, well, we got to go to the bullpen. We only got 100 pitches. I don't like that mindset. And I, I, that's, you know, I didn't like Mason Miller coming out. And this is a, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to throw a no-hitter as a rookie. That's something Vita Blue did, right, in 1970. He threw a no-hitter in September. Um, you don't know if he's going to get that chance again. It could be a special evening. Uh, but more concerning to me was his mindset was like, yeah, I thought I was coming out after six. I, I just can't. That's the type of thinking that I can't get behind. You grew up a kid in Oakland. Your favorite team was the Oakland Athletics. You're a baseball guy. No offense to the other teams in the Bay Area, but you're a baseball guy. Even though NBA comes around, you act like you're an NBA guy. I know you're a baseball (laughs) guy. Um, Vita Blue, when you're a little kid, Vita Blue's a star. Vita Blue, first it's just the name, Vita Blue. I mean, that, that's the name as a kid you're just going to gl- grab onto. It's just such a unique name, Vita Blue. And then you hear the story about him. For me, I was too young to remember 71, but by the time I'm a baseball fan in 73, 74, I've heard about 71. And I heard about how dominating it was. And I've seen the highlights from the All-Star game at Tiger Stadium and the Blue Blazer and the magazine covers and everything that Vita brought. Uh, the first game that I remember going to as a fan uh, bat day in 1973, Vita Blue pitched. And you saw this guy on the mound. He looked larger than life. He had the high stirrups. Uh, he looked taller than he was. The Blue Blazer, um, he was magical. And he was such a good pitcher. And for a kid in the 70s, I mean, the name, the success, winning the championships, Vita Blue was a, was a whole package for a, for a baseball fan in the 70s. No doubt about it. And, you know, just what was that like? You know, you're growing up an A's fan. Your team's in the World Series every single year. You've got stars. I mean, think about Reggie Jackson. Think about Sal Banda was a great player. 
I mean, we just had Joe Rudy on. He's a three-time World Series champion. He's an all-star. Gene Tennis is like a, a King Kong in the, in the World Series. I, Raleigh Fingers is doing things I wish we appreciated more. It was truly amazing. Catfish Hunter, Ken Holtzman, you go on and on and on. What was that like as a kid? You, I mean, you had like a utopia of baseball. Yeah, and I think it's what a lot of people, uh, Warrior fans, who are growing up now are going yep. through. Right. They think every year is going to be Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Niner fans in the 80s. It's Joe Montana. It's Jerry Rice. Uh, giant fans in the in the early part of this. It's Buster Posey. It's it's Tim Lincecum. It's Matt Cain. Uh, they don't know any better. And as a kid in the 70s, you're like, well, this happens every year. But guess what? Eventually it changes. And I think what's interesting about Vita Blue is Vita Blue was really the last remaining guy. He pitched for the 1977 A's. Okay, everybody was gone after 76. So what happened? Why is why is Vita still there in 1977? Everybody was a free agent. They left because Vita got screwed once again by Charlie Finley, right? In 1976, what is supposed to be the the walk year uh, for these free agents? You know, Burt Campanaris and Joe Rudy and Sal Bando. They they going to play out their contract. The reverse clause was going to be eliminated and they were going to be free agents. Somehow, Charlie Finley convinced Vita Blue to sign a three-year contract in 1976. A three-year contract. And Vita was asked, why would you do that? You don't even like the man, Charlie Finley. He said, well, he made me a promise he wouldn't trade me and I like being in Oakland. He goes, Vita Blue said, I like being in Oakland. I like it here. And, and he promised not to trade me. So what did Charlie Finley do the night that Vita Blue signed this contract? He tried to sell him to the New York Yankees that night. And the reason why the Yankees wanted guaranteed that they were getting Vita Blue for that year and two more. And it also, so this sort of starts to sound familiar. It was going to lower the worth of the Oakland A's. The A's were being evaluated at about a $12 million worth. Charlie Finley's trying to sell the team to Marvin Davis in Denver, the Denver Oilmen. You get rid of Vita Blue in his contract, the worth of the A's goes down to $10 million, and it makes it more sellable. Does this all sound a little familiar? Uh, so Vita Blue does not get sold to the Yankees because Bowie Kuhn puts the kibosh on that. Best interest of baseball was his move. So now here's Vita playing the 77 season for the A's, a bad A's team. We go into 78. Vita's still a member of the A's. Charlie Finley tries to sell him to the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to he's going to trade him for Dave Revering, who was a was a minor leaguer. Eventually, did come to the A's from for Dick Bear, but he's going to try it again. And once again, Charlie uh, Bowie Coon says, "Nope, best interest of baseball, not allowing this trade." Gratefully, finally, Charlie Finley was able to work out a trade with the San Francisco Giants, a multiplayer deal where it's Vita Blue and one other player going to the Giants. The A's get a whole dugout full of players back from the Giants and and and, and they asked Vita, what does it feel like to finally be traded? And uh, quoting the great Martha Luther King Jr., he says, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. But Charlie and Vita just, and as a kid, right, Vita's your guy and they keep trying to get rid of him. And you couldn't understand why you're trying to get rid of Vita Blue. Luckily, we had him for one extra year. So we now look at starting pitchers a little different. We're giving a, we give a lot more leeway with certain numbers, and you start to look at Vita Blue's numbers, knowing that Charlie Finley, as you just mentioned, 
mess with Vida's career. Obviously, in 72, you know, he's a young man at the height of his powers. I think of the one year he suspended, what was that, 84? Was it 84? Yeah, he missed the 84 season. Right? So, I mean, if, if you don't have this disruption of time, it wasn't because of Tommy John surgery, wasn't kind of because of injuries. Uh, if you didn't have this disruption in to- of time in his career, would he have a plaque in Cooperstown? He would have gotten a lot more support, definitely, if he had, you know, a 1972 season. He still made 23 starts in 72, but he went 6-10, and 10, and, he, and it wasn't, he had a, left everybody with a bad taste in their mouth, right? He was going to go work for the plumbing company. Uh, he was a plumbing executive there. Uh, just It just left a bad taste. Still, you know, it comes back in 73 with a 21 season, 22 wins in 75. Uh you know, 18 game winner in 76 goes to the Giants, wins 18 games, leads a team that was really not thought of to a third place finish. And they're only six games behind the Dodgers in 78 with the Giants. You guys talked about his all-star appearances. I mean, he started the game for both leagues. Yeah. yeah. He, he had a chance to be a hall of fame pitcher. If he doesn't lose that 72 type of season, if he doesn't lose 84, um, you know, he, he would have had a chance. He would have had numbers that were similar to catfish hunter. Um, and again, the star power that that he would have had, because uh, he was Vita Blue, he definitely would have been the star. And, and, you know, the other thing that gets me, and they talk about his postseason career, and they say, well, he wasn't that good in the postseason. But the thing is, he had two, well, really three of the biggest postseason games during that A's run. Game five and seventy-two in the ALCS. Blue Moon Odom only goes the first five. So Vida finishes the final four innings of that game, shutout style, saving a one-run lead, saving the game. I mean, the A's go to the World Series because Vida blew those four shutout innings. Oh, okay, now post-game he does the choke symbol to Blue Moon Odom to get in a fight in the clubhouse, but that's, that's swinging A's. What are you going to do? Um, just, those things happen. Par for the course. <laughs> you know, but then, you know, and then game, what was it, game one of 72? He comes out of the bullpen. And gets the save in game one, another one-run game. So two huge saves. Uh, and then, of course, the ALCS game in 73 where he throws a shutout. Um, just big moments. So he gets a little knock on his postseason career, but it's better than people think. He had a couple bad starts, game six and 72 in the World Series after being in the bullpen for the whole postseason. All of a sudden, we're going to start him in game six, and it was terrible. Um, other than that, he was actually a very good postseason pitcher and a spectacular one when they needed him most in 72. You know, a lot of people look back at that era of baseball and you say, oh, it can never happen again. Well, they're kind of right because when you look at, like you can even talk about the big red machine or you look at the A's. I mean, these A's were all brought up together. They weren't guys that were traded for. They weren't guys, I mean, you're talking about draft picks from Kansas City coming to Oakland. These guys came up together. So as crazy and nutty as Charlie Finley was, he built this team. Remember, Rick Monday could have been a part of this, obviously traded for Holtzman. But, I mean, it's pretty amazing. All the draft picks, all the signings, they just worked. Now, eventually they, they would all become very expensive, but – you got to give credit. These are all home. This dynasty is homegrown, which is incredible. We just really don't see that today. Not as much, but the good teams are still built this way, I believe, through the farm system and guys coming up together. 
Charlie Finley was a tremendous talent evaluator uh, for all his other eccentricities and whatever else. He knew good ball players and he knew what made a good team. And he understood when he had those core players that, you know, a lot of them drafted when they were still in Kansas City and brings them to Oakland. And he knew he just had to fill around them. And he always was able to identify what they needed. You talk about Rick Monday. He knew they needed another starter to go with Vida and Catfish. So I'm going to give up my center fielder, my number one overall draft pick, to get Ken Holtzman, who's going to be a solid starter for the A's. And that worked out beautifully. Uh, you know, trading to get Ray Foss. He's trading a young George Hendrick, an up-and-coming outfielder, a power hitter. But I'm, I needed a catcher for this team. And I'm going to make that trade. Um, we also needed to get Dave Duncan out of here, but that's that's another part of the story. Uh, then getting Billy North, you know, to be your center fielder in 73. Uh, he was so smart that way. But that's how good teams, to me, who come up together. You know, you talk about Mulder, Hudson, Zito, right? These are all A's draft picks. Um, that's why I do get excited when I look down at the farm now for the A's. And you see some of the guys we saw in spring training. And you saw Denzel Clark. And you saw Zach Geloff. Um, Soderstrom, uh, I think you see guys who are coming up together again. I think we're seeing that next generation of guys who are coming up together, playing together, learning how to win together. And when they all come up to the big leagues together, there's going to be a familiarity with it. And I think it's going to be a big thing. I think it's going to be the next successful A's team is going to be those guys because of the fact they're all coming up together. Now, when you're walking around that building in Atlanta, do you actually do see Shaq and Charles and everybody? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty I – mean, you can't miss Shaq. No. The Shaq yeah. drives the tiniest car, too. He has this very tiny car. Uh, he's basically took out the front seat, so he drives it from the back seat because that's the only way he can fit in. Uh, he's like the largest – I'll never – you remember what, – what year was the uh, All-Star game at, at, at Oracle? Was it 98? Was it 2000? Yeah, 2000. Is that the more Vince Carter, Vince Carter won the dunk contest? Yeah, was that yeah, 2000? 2000? So I remember doing a show with Tim Roy – and we're sitting there, it's the Saturday, and they're just coming out and shooting around and stuff. This before slam dunk and three-point and all that. And Shaq was breakdancing and got on the ground and did like the turtle. And you're like, how is a man this size that athletic? It's crazy. And now that, you know, Shaq's put on some pounds. He's actually lost weight, but it's crazy. Just I, I think about his suits, how much fabric it takes just to make one of his suits. I mean, when you stand next to Shaq, it's crazy how large of a man he is. He's so he's so mammoth. And I remember it during his playing days, right? You used to remember Manupul, right, 7'7", seven, seven, but skinny as a beanpole. Yeah. And there were other players Sean like that Bradley. very tall. But, yeah, tall, so skinny. But now Shaq is this tall and this big. So on the basketball court, he kind of looked proportional. And he walks off the court and you're going, Oh my, this is a mountain of a man. And the other thing about Shaq, and I got to travel with the Lakers a little bit when he was with the Lakers. He is the nicest man. Oh my. He, he, I, I think maybe it comes from that he's always been bigger than life his entire life, right? People have always stared at him. And some people can go into a shell. I know a lot of NBA players who are very shy outside of the basketball arena because of just being stared upon. But Shaq, just, he just loves it, and he's used to it, and he's great with people. I, I mean, if you get a chance to meet this guy, he is just as nice as can be. And it's and genuine, genuinely just a nice, happy fella. Kevin Garnett said it. He said, I want to thank Mama and Papa Shaq for the way they raised him because if Shaq wasn't a nice guy, he would have hurt a lot of people. <laughs> 
Oh my God. I to, here's my one shack story. We're on the plane. We're on the Laker plane and uh, they like to play cards on the Laker plane. And he uh, came back and he, he needed change. And he looked at me and he goes, you look like you have small bills. Can you make change for me? <laughs> oh God. And, and, Ch- and Chuck, from what I understand, I've not Chuck. I've never really never interviewed him in my basketball days, but everybody seems to say Chuck's a pretty good dude. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, people love him here in Turner. I and mean, there's, there's genuinely affection and love and he's, I think the other thing they like is that he's willing to make fun of himself. He's willing to go with any antics they want and they want to drop stuff from the ceiling on him. They want him to chase Kenny back to the, he'll do anything they want. I think he's a, he's in a really good place here and they love him here. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are the Warriors in trouble? No, if they lose tonight, yes, if they're down three, one, but they've been in down two one before. Uh, I, I do trust the Warriors coaching staff and the adjustments they need to make. It's troublesome because the Warriors, this is what they've been all year. They've been a bad road team. They, they shoot poorly. They throw a lot of turnovers. They struggle. But if they can somehow just stop fouling, stop turning the ball over, I think they're going to be fine. I think they know how to beat the Lakers. It's just executing. Well, when you, I have a new project, a new idea I want to throw by you. When you're not doing, I don't know, Arizona State spring football games, <laughs> when you're not doing random baseball games, when you're not doing NBA, when you have time for us back in this little baseball world here, let me know because I have something I want to throw at you. Uh, you know I want to hear it. Summer's coming. I'm going to be all yours during the summer. You mean you're not going to be doing Dion in the spring football practices at Colorado for Pac-12 Network? No, we, we take the summers off, Townie. So, uh, and it doesn't look like I have any uh, – I think the XFL and all that stuff's about ready to end. So it's, it's going to be baseball and just it's all you. Do you like anybody in the Pac-12 going into this year? Football-wise? Yeah. Yeah. This is a stack league. You have six returning quarterbacks who are all ballers, who are all winners. And then you have a couple transfer quarterbacks coming into the conference. This is going to be very, very tough league. Uh, you got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner yeah. at USC. You have another guy who's up for the Heisman and Michael Penix Jr. at Washington and Bo Nix at Oregon. This league is going to be this is the year for the Pac-12 to make a big stand and win those non-conference games in September, something they've struggled with. This is the year to watch out for them. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Your, your reigning Heisman Trophy winner and the Trojans, their year gets ruined in week zero. San Jose State, week zero. Spartans are going down to the old Coliseum in Los Angeles. I will be there. I'm taking the day off. We're flying down. LAX, Uber over. Spartan Nation (laughs) is going to take over the L.A. Coliseum, home of the 1984 Olympics. You know, you're going to see – that's going to be a great day, by the way, down there because that's, you know, that's the first game, really the first game. He gets to play as a Heisman Trophy winner at his home stadium. It's going to be a packed house week zero, all eyes on that game. It's going to be fantastic. 45,000 with probably about 2,000 San Jose State fans. Sounds about right. Sparty's going to travel. <laughs> I cannot. Are you going to work that game? You know, that could be a Pac-12 network game. I we, there's been rumors. There's been rumors. So we, we'll find out for sure the first week of June. But uh, I'd love to. I think that'd be so much fun. Dinner on me. Oh, yeah, it is. Thank you, buddy. Be well. Safe travels. Thanks, Townie. Be well. David Feldman, our A's historian in Atlanta, Georgia.
for the it's a Tuesday game on TBS. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see what it is. We should probably take a break before Dave Stewart joins us. Okay. If you want to talk greatness, Dave Stewart, A's Hall of Famer, next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend. There are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, it is always an honor to have the Oakland A's Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in A's history, to be on with us. A's Cast Live on a day like this where we're remembering one of his heroes and the great Dave Stewart back in town. He'll be doing A's pre- and post-game live. And, Dave, I just think about you as a kid growing up in Oakland, what Vita Blue must have meant to you as a kid? You know, um, I was real, real fortunate. Um, the, the, the first major meeting was uh, Reggie Jackson, and I met Reggie in 68. And knowing Reggie and getting to know Reggie gave me access to a lot of the players with the Oakland A's teams back then. And then um, having the opportunity to meet Vita, um, you know, was was magical for me. You know, I'd already adopted Juan Marshall and Bob Gibson um, as guys that I wanted to, to be like if I had an opportunity to pitch at the major league level. And then, you know, watching Vita Blue and Les, uh, watching Vita Blue and, and Blue Moon Odom, you know, and Catfish even, um, it was even more of an impression on me. And then having an opportunity to talk with Vita you know, at, at, at 19 years old, and me being 12 years old, you know, I didn't see him as, that much as, you know, a major league player. I looked at him more as one of the guys that I played in the street with when I was playing baseball with my brother. And, you know, I, I actually, I don't know if I fault my brother to that or I give gratitude to him because when I met Vida, I felt like I was just talking to one of the kids that I played with. That's kind of crazy. I didn't think about that. Like, here, here he is. He's becoming the MVP in this Cy Young Award winner, and he actually isn't that much older than you. That's, I mean, it's the truth. I mean, my brother <laughs> was five years older than me, and he brought me everywhere that he went. I played baseball against all of his friends, um, and they were all older. And so, I mean, think about it. Vida was 19 years old when he showed up in the big leagues. And, and literally, man, a couple years older than my brother. So, you know, he could have been playing in the street with us. That is just, that's awesome. And I just think for you, seeing an African-American young pitcher just not be a good pitcher, but he becomes a star. Like, I've been trying to tell everybody, we're just not talking Sports Illustrated, Baseball Digest back then. We're talking Time Magazine. We're talking Newsweek. We're talking late-night talk shows. Vita Blue became an American sports star, and he's doing it right in front of you. And he was. Um, and it became apparent. You know, when, when Vita finally got the opportunity to 
have impact on this team. He he took the bull by the horns. You know, he had a tremendous 71 season, um, and, and that's a documented. We all know what he did that year. Um, but it wasn't just that year. He continued to do it. And that 71 season, when you really look at the numbers, it was a very dominant year, very, very dominant year. I know a guy who was a mentor to you, taught you the uh, the old forkball. Uh, you think about the great Sandy Koufax. You know, there haven't been, especially during that time, you hadn't seen that many left-handers who could get up on the mound, bring it high 90s, if not 100 miles an hour. We didn't have the gun then. But just talk about, you know, what he was doing, that kind of just talent. You didn't see that very often in our game. No, you didn't. It was very, very, very uncommon to see somebody with that kind of stuff um, take the mound and be as dominant as he was. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable um, at that time. The things he was doing, throwing in the high 90s, dominating very good major league hitters. Um, just unbelievable the, the, the job that he did in that period of time. And you think about his stardom, but what what a great person, Vita Blue, everybody that got to know him, uh, the way he treated all of us, even though he was this superstar, three-time World Series champion, you know, the All-Star Games, the awards. Vita treated everybody the same. He was just so kind. Vita was one of the, you know, Vita was from Louisiana, Mm -hmm. and my folks are from Louisiana, and Vita didn't have any traits that were very different from my parents. They didn't know any strangers. Everybody was family, and that's how Vida treated people. Well, I I say this from, uh, this goes way back, like into the Fox Sports days, into the Comcast Sports Net. Like, I would see Vida in there, and he's working with all these young people. They really don't, kind of like, you know, you think about your great career. You might work with a young person, and they don't know your entire history. Vida never big leagued anybody, even if they didn't know all the greatness about him. He worked with them in television there in the same studios you're in now. Never big leagued anybody. No, that's just not in his DNA. Uh, Vida was good to anybody that crossed his path. He was just just an unbelievable human being. Um, he won't meet very many people of like Vida Blue. Um, and that's, you know, that's the legacy that, that he's left behind. Um, you know, If you hear it from one person, right at this moment, you're hearing it from me. But if you talk to someone separate of me, um, they'll say the exact same thing about Vida. And and you know what that means? That means he was consistent. Um, He was consistent in who he was every day and how he treated people every day. Uh, I know you got to do pregame, so we'll let you go. Let's just end on this. I know Vida Blue uh, would be very proud of you and what you're doing with Nashville and this is going to be historic in our game. Just how, how is everything going with your pursuit to get a Major League Baseball team? You know, unfortunately, um, with with uh, all the news of, of the A's, um, it's really accelerated um, the things that are happening in Nashville. And, um, you know, we're, we've been preparing for this for, for, for the last four years, and we know that there's still a, a pretty good road to go before we can – actually put a field a team on the field but you know with the a's um, making the decision that they made like i said i said i mean that sincerely unfortunately because i could never picture oakland not having a major league franchise and that's an unfortunate situation but that accelerates it
and then we're we're hoping that Tampa can can figure out what they're going to do by the end of the year, and then that puts the commissioner in a in a, in, a, in a situation that he can uh, talk to the owners about uh, two team expansion. Well, I, I always thank you for your time. It means so much, and uh, I'll be in with you on Thursday and Friday on A's pre and post game live. Looking forward to seeing you, man, and working with you, as you always know, Tony. Take care, buddy. Take care. The great Dave Stewart right here on A's Cast Live, A's Hall of Famer. I mean, you imagine growing up in Oakland, and there you got guys like Reggie Jackson. You got, you know, just hearing from Dave Feldman, another guy who grew up in I mean, you grew up in Oakland at that time, and you're, you're you know, the Giants were here first. And, of course, they came over with a megastar and Willie Mays, and then he had Willie McCovey. They had that World Series against the Giants, I mean, against the Yankees where they came up short. But you got this A's team that just, you know, comes west from Kansas City. And who would have thought, right? Like, because they stunk in Kansas City. That you're coming over from Kansas City, and next thing you know, this team that stunk in Kansas City – is loaded with future Hall of Famers, future All-Stars, future dudes, like legit dudes. Like Sal Bando is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Vita Blue is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Joe Rudy is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ken Holtzman is not in the base. Blue Moon, we can go on, but they were dudes. They were legit, terrific players to mix in the fact that you do have Hall of Famers in Catfish Hunter and Reggie Jackson and arguably the greatest reliever of all time in Raleigh Fingers. And, yes, I say that because you can do the numbers. I just sent him a list today of their time about the greatest closers of all time. Four of them, two of them out of the four, the top four, Mariano, uh, Trevor Hoffman, Raleigh Fingers, Dennis Eckersley. You could debate those four, but you look at the career numbers, I think you could make a case. Raleigh's, no offense, we love Eck. No offense, Marion Rivera, incredible. Trevor Hoffman, incredible. You can make a case Raleigh Fingers was the best, but you just you think about this group, and I can't speak to the team. I can lie to you. But I can. I was born in 72. I can't say I was keeping score for the 74 World Series against the Dodgers. I was not. But I've done my work. I've done my history. I've read up on it. I've interviewed all of these guys multiple times. I've hosted all their events. And I've gotten to know them. They know me. I, I just I just look at the history of these guys, and it's incredible. And, yeah, you, you can try and emulate it. I... I don't think there's been a team and the big red machine, because you got to remember the Reds had the success too in the late 60s into the 70s, ever before they won the World Series in 75, 76. They played the A's in the World Series in 72. What did they, did they play in 71? What did they do in 71? Once again, I was not born. I'm pretty sure. They were, they made another, did they make the World Series in 70 or 71? I want to say it was 70 because 71 was the Pirates. So but it might have been they, 70 they were in the World Series? Uh, they might have been in the – might it might have been them in the Pirates in the NLCS. Let me see. Oh, no, it was Pirates over the Giants. In Look at 70 World Series. Were the Reds in the 70 World Series? Let's see, 19 – So the point is, is those guys you're, – you're looking at – Orioles over Cincinnati, yeah. Yeah, so 
you have this time of the Big Red Machine and the A's, they're, the majority of it's homegrown. When's the last time we really saw a home? I mean, the majority of the guys are homegrown. Like, I know you could say the Yankees run because we look at that core. You know, you're going to throw Pettit and Posada and Bernie Williams, friend of the program. That that could be one you bring in there. Maybe the Giants. I would say them or Kansas City. Kansas City, yeah. I mean, majority of their guys, except for Johnny Cueto, but majority of their guys, like the bullpen But if we guys, really went through the 25-man roster, I mean, how many of the guys are really homegrown? I'm just, I, I'm just picturing the core. Like, we can we can take some certain guy, but, like, we're talking about a lot of the A's were homegrown. Yeah, I, I was looking. The team, like the team. I was looking. Yeah, you may have got Ken Holtzman, but everybody else, all your starters, I mean, the majority of the guy, I mean, Campy's homegrown. You just go around the diamond. This isn't like, well, you have Lorenzo Kane and you got Eric Hosmer, and you got Salvi, and a couple guys. I mean, you're talking about the entire team who's starting on the mound, the guys who are playing. These guys are all homegrown. I know, and you're mentioning uh, how bad the Kansas City Athletics were, and I went back to look because I was curious. From 1955 to 1967, how many winning seasons did the Kansas City A's have? Well, what happened in 1960? Uh, 1960. Yeah. I wasn't even born. My dad wasn't even born yet. Yeah, my grandfather managed the oh. Kansas City A's in 1960. They had no winning seasons ever in Kansas City. No, they were bad. But then they come to Oakland. But and no one, <laughs> that's the thing, no one, when they were coming to Oakland, no one had any idea. Why? Wait, you, what, could you just go to KansasCityAthletics.com and look at the roster? No. <laughs> had, no one no one had any idea in Oakland what was coming. They had no idea what was coming. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, how, how would you know that you've got this kid named Vita Blue that's going to be an absolute star? How, how did you know that you were going to have Reggie Jackson? Catfish Hunter, Hall of Baseball Hall of Famers, Raleigh Fingers. You got no idea. Raleigh Fingers was a I, I tell the story all the time about Raleigh. I, I know I've said it on this show plenty of times. I've always I'm like, you realize Raleigh was a starter? Raleigh Fingers once threw a perfect uh, not perfect. He threw a complete game in spring training. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. I just I, I was reading it. I was like, how's that possible? They allowed Raleigh Finger. You want to know how different and why pitchers were true pitchers and and why pitching was better? Because guys pitched. Now what we have is guys who were taking their bodies to the absolute absolute limit every every time they go out, and the body can only do so much. I think Verlander is the great example. How many times did we face Verlander he would start the game out 94, 93, 95. And then by the time he got to – he needed it in the seventh and eighth, now it's 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, I don't Versus DeGrom is coming out from the first pitch, throwing a 92-mile-an-hour slider, trying to punch everybody out. And this is what I'll say about DeGrom, to be fair to him and his greatness when he has been on, is that DeGrom pushed his body to the limit – Every single time he went out, and his body just can't withstand it. His arm, his scapula, the back, it just can't withstand it. We, 
we have taken these pitchers and we want them to go max everything. I want it to be your best slider every time. I want it to be your best fastball. I don't need you to go out and give me a ton of innings. I just need you to be hell on wheels when you're out there. And you're asking these guys to be at full max versus you got what we used to teach everybody is you don't bring everything in the first inning. You don't throw every. You don't show everything. You don't bring. You, that's how you last in game. You learn how to pitch. You learn how to pitch to a guy in the first at bat versus the third at bat. This is an old man river. This is essential. Like like we're a sport that we've now told guys we don't want you to play the whole game, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Like like basketball. We all love the Warriors, right? Not you, Kings fan. Like well, the si- beam, Sixers. Um. You don't go and show your top plays in a basketball game at the beginning of the game. Uh, factual. You don't show your playbook at the beginning of a football game. Those go-to must-need plays don't show up till the fourth quarter. But on baseball, we want our starting pitchers to come out and just give me six and just strike everybody out. Well, in that process... The human body, we're asking these guys to be full tilt every single time they get on the mound, and their bodies can't can't stand it. They can't take it. And that's why we see so many surgeries, so many Tommy Johns. So what do we do? We have you go get Tommy John, and then we have you get back on the mound and do the same thing. Yeah. And even though pitching coaches, Scott Emerson will come on the show and talk about pitching and the art of pitching, and then you just look at the radar gun. Every guy's throwing every fastball as fast as he can. Mason Miller's up there throwing as hard as he can on every single pitch, and he's putting the slider and the cutter. And the, uh, and it's just not, hey, man, I'm painting the corners, throwing strikes. I mean, hey, can Mason Miller get people out at 95? Yes. And then maybe he can go 120 pitches and throw nine innings. I mean, it's amazing how we, we act, and I love how David Feldman said that, about everybody when I was like, Mason Miller's going to have a no-hitter and only 100 pitches. I, I mean, seriously. Really? Oh, my God. We act like he's 12 years old in Little League. Oh, my God, he's never pitched. Like his parents are like, you're going to hurt his arm. Dude, he's a young man. He's strong. And we act like, okay, you're not going to let him throw the pitches now. When are you ever going to let him to throw the pitches? You mean when his arm gets more more tread on it, and you think it? it, it I mean, seriously, I've checked three different orthopedic surgeons to say this one. Guys who perform Tommy John surgeries, they say that this one hundred pitch thing's bogus. But yet everybody believes it. I had Ken Korak all over me in the dugout, going, right, "Everybody buys in. You had to take him out. You had to take him out. He hasn't pitched. This is when he's going to be his strongest. He doesn't have the wear and tear. He doesn't have twelve years of pitching underneath his belt." I mean, if you can't, if you can't, in your twenties, go deep in games. When can you go deep in games? Yeah, well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna emphasize going deep in games when you're in your mid, mid to late thirties. Not everyone's Justin Verlander. Will Mason Scherzer. Miller be around in his mid thirties? Uh, I can't answer that question. No, we don't know. Uh, here, I'm just gonna. But look. he had a no hitter, and we took him out. I'm gonna look at a couple of Vitas. And games. and Feldman made a great point. He thought he was coming out in the sixth. Yeah, he, yeah. we're conditioning pitchers to be like six innings. I'm good. Which, that's why I get on about Verlander. Look at Verlander in the postseason. Six innings, I'm good. Pitched against San Diego, threw his six. He was out, laughing in the dugout. I mean, how many great pitchers would be smiling and high-fiving people being taken out of a game where you've gone six innings and only given up two runs? 
and you're supposed to be the best pitcher on the planet. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Sorry, I was trying to find, uh, just like look at Vitus PitchCon from 1971, but it's for some reason on Baseball Reference it doesn't have pitches on here. Were they not tracking that back then? How do you get stronger? How do you get better? How do you get? How do you get better doing something less? Yeah, you want the reps to get stronger. I mean, when you when you're lifting weights, this is a bad analogy because I don't lift weights, but when you lift weights and you do reps, you get stronger by doing more reps. Well, I can't, I can't speak at pitching at the big league level. I can't do it. Right? I just can't. But I know at a pretty decent competitive level, I know what it was like to close games. I know what it was like to be a middle reliever, and I knew what it was like to be a starter. And there's an art to pitching and getting deep into games. And it's not going out there and trying to strike everybody out. Are there games where you do? Yes. But we want everybody to perform like two guys. And I think there's two guys that we can relate to in modern times that did it for a really, really long time and we believe to be clean. That's why I take Clemens out. Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson, from the moment they started pitching, Randy was a little wild, so was Nolan, but from the moment they started to the moment they ended, they threw gas. And there's no Tommy John surgery in there. They were freaks. Yeah. They They were freaks. They really were. Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan, obviously Nolan, then Randy, one, two, all-time strikeouts. They were freaks. To throw that hard, that kind of velocity for that long, and they didn't get hurt. Randy had the bad back, and at the end, Nolan's arm game, Nolan's arm game out at 46. But the fact that they did that all those years, they're freaks. We're seeing that all these young guys who are all throwing hard, and do, they can't sustain it. We had a conversation. We're going to get more into this. I think Vita Blue is a great example. We're going to look at Vita Blue's career, and we're going to look at the things that Vita did. Like, we're not going to have got – if you go to the all-time list right now, you can go you just put in all-time innings pitched, all-time strikeouts of what guys need to do. Vita's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can just look at his numbers, and you can get into the Hall of Fame. These young, there's nobody in their 20s who has any volume whatsoever who's going to have any Hall of Fame credentials. What are their Hall of Fame credentials going to be when you don't have volume? By the way, here's another thing that you and I are now talking for the first time, not off the air, because I kind of got you in a little ways on this. We're like, hey, strikeouts. Well, if you don't pitch a lot of innings, you're not going to get a lot of strikeouts. You have to pitch to get numbers. This is a game of math. If you don't pitch a lot of innings, you're not going to get a lot of strikeouts. You know what's also going to happen to you when you, as we're trying to figure out a way, and it's front office's fault, but six-man rotations, guys getting skipped all the time, not having a ton of starts, not having a ton of innings, your war doesn't build up. That's a good point. Your war doesn't. So, like, like when I, I, I threw him the question 20 years from now, you don't like win, pitcher wins, okay. But what, come, what comes with pitcher's wins? Innings, strikeouts. I mean, you'll see all the guys in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, 300 wins. What does the win matter? But the reason they were able to get that because of volume. They starts, innings. They all got strikeouts. They all got yeah. – well, if we're taking the starts away, we're taking the innings away, you're not building on the math. 
How are you going to get to that high war if you're not building on the math that contributes to the war? Yeah, it's going to be it's difficult. I mentioned to you about I mean, you're going to have to start um, as the, the cliche is moving the goalposts because, you know, we look at it now with 300 wins and 3000 strikeouts as and like I don't I, I, I don't think not could be wrong. But once we get past this era, because uh, you already got Verlander and Grinky are past it. Yes. Kershaw, where's he? Uh, you're talking about career wins. He's right on the doorstep of 200, right? Yeah, I think he. If he's not Wayne there, Wright, Wayne Wright, who still hasn't pitched. When's Wayne Wright coming uh, back? Actually, he pitched the other day. He did. He's yeah. one start back. He pitched the other day. You know, the catcher they signed all that money to is not a catcher Ooh, anymore. Oh, well, you said he was a Gold Glover. Uh, I, I, eighty-seven and a half million dollars. He's not catching anymore. Uh, unless it's Granky's at two twenty-four. Verlander's at two forty-four. Where's Kershaw? Um, I'm getting there. I don't think he has two. He has two hundred two. Scherzer has two hundred three. Okay, where's Wainwright? He's two three behind. Something. Wainwright's like at one ninety-five. Okay, so Wainwright's got five more to two hundred. And then after that, no one's close. The next active guy, you're going to have Madison Bumgarner and Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, well, Cole reason, Hamels is done. Stop. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought that didn't he's the Padres not, sign he, him? He's not even on a team. I thought the Padres signed him. He's probably hurt. No, uh, no, no. He didn't make the team. Uh, Coito's with the Marlins, right? So he's 143, no chance. And he's 37. Where's Cole? Like Garrett, Garrett Cole is the next. Garrett Cole's the one guy you can look at. One thirty-five. So Garrett Cole, once the old guys get there, where, where we say Kershaw is? Uh, two oh two oh two. Okay, so once if I mean if Wayne Wright gets there, I got to think he will. It's five. Yeah. The only guy that's even maybe getting to two hundred wins. Forget three hundred wins. Two hundred wins is Garrett Cole. He has. Garrett Cole has. One more win and 500 less innings than Madison Bumgarner. And when we talk about Madison Bumgarner potentially being a Hall of Famer, by the way, I think it's going to gain traction because because you're going to see not only was he a beast in the postseason, what you're going to see is nobody's even forget wins. You you guys you guys this why this why I'm going to battle you on the all right forget wins. You're not getting enough innings to get strikeouts, to get war, to even be on a level of, you say, move the goalpost? What's the goalpost going to be? Like, how low? Because if we project now with how we look at Hall of Famers, there is not a pitcher after Kershaw. I don't know when Grinky will retire. I don't know when Verlander is going to retire. I don't know when Kurt. Verlander's getting in. Grinky will get in. Kershaw will get in. Scherzer will get in. Scherzer will get in. But these are old guys. Once the old guys are gone and they get in next 20 years, there's not one pitcher tracking to even, ever even come close to a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, like Wainwright will be – I don't think Wainwright gets in. It's an old guy. I, yeah. I, and this is the thing. I was like, you, you don't have anybody who's kind of young, kind of young, let alone young, that you look at and go, oh, yeah, he'll have, he'll have numbers – Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, the only – I mean, Cole's only 32, but he's, that's older 30, now. And he's not even close. Yeah, he's at – what did I say? Was that 135? But, I mean, just everything. Like, Cole may – I mean – I mean, look, Steven Strasburg's on those lists. He's he done. A, he hasn't pitched in like four years. Done. And then, from the standpoint of we've, destro- we've destroyed the starting pitcher and we've destroyed the closer. We don't have celebrity all-star closers anymore. We just don't. 
you're not going to have a guy that whatever you want to call what were your what your threshold would be for a Hall of Fame closer. There's going to be nobody that even sniffs those kind of numbers because the high leverage innings. And you know what? The front offices may be right. But from a standpoint of selling our game and selling pitching and make people interested in pitching, because I'll tell you what, I got the old scorebook here. It'd make Vita Blue sick. You want to you wanna name me all the pitchers who pitched this weekend between the A's and the uh, Royals? Uh, there, was a, there was a lot. I don't. I can't name them all. Didn't you watch the games? Uh, not yesterday, but Saturday, Friday. Yeah, Saturday. I'm talking Friday, Saturday. Can you name all the guys who pitched Friday and Saturday? Let's see. Well, actually, I know Yarbrough Miller pitched yesterday as starters. Friday and Saturday. Um, Friday would have been Kyle Muller. Mm-hmm. And I, who, who started for Kansas? Singer, Singer started yesterday, uh, Saturday, right? Singer was Saturday because their pitching's been really bad, brutal. But that's what I'm saying. Back in the day, when we highlighted the guy oh, who yeah. threw the baseball, he was important. Now they're not. No, it's just a. A role as Chapman pitched. I know that. It, it, that was yesterday. <laughs> now it's it's just a conveyor belt of nobody relievers. That's all our game is a, con- a conveyor belt of. Oh, Milter Law Firm. Hesley and Patton and Taylor and Maul. We got Austin Pro. I mean, it's just the. It was just a cavalcade Saturday, uh, Friday and Saturday of just relievers. Barlow, Barlow, that's what we're selling our game on. Some random Kansas City reliever named so, Barlow. Is it Scott or – I don't even remember. Maybe Scott's the one for the Rangers. That's what – that, and this is, I when it comes to selling the game, kind of the problem that you just – we've turned the important guy, the guy that handles the ball, versus tonight, who's handling the ball tonight? I know it's the playoffs, but that it gets worse in oh, the playoffs in baseball. They're talking about say Nestor Cortez. I'm gonna say it gets worse in baseball because baseball we really have a quick hook for starters, and we we can't wait to get to the nobody relievers. Man, NBA, you get in the playoffs. The guys who score points and the point guards they handle the ball. They're the stars. Stars stars handle the ball in baseball. It's who's the next random dude out of the bullpen. There's a lot of random relievers. I mean, who was it? Was it Rosen? But you know what? For the front offices, what have they done? They've really cut how much they have to pay starters. And relievers. Not yeah. having the star reliever. Don't got to pay the closer. They've figured out a way to save money. But they – and that's the thing. It's like front offices don't do what's best for selling and making our game important. Yeah, and you have teams like, like what Houston's done. They signed Montero to a huge zone. He's not even the closer. And that's pe- fine. The Padres did it with uh, uh, Suarez. I'm, has he pitched this year? Is he hurt? No, he's pitched. I don't, so I don't I, know if he's been hurt. I've watched a lot of Bob Melvin and the Padres. But Padres year. have signed starters to try and. But I mean, there's so many teams that. Well, it just goes hand in hand, right? Who had the best? Who's had the best starters from production standpoint so far this year? Pretty easy. Uh, the Rays. The Rays. Who's got the best record? Tampa Bay. Who's had the worst production of starters this year? The A's. Who's had the worst record? It's the A's again now. Was can't, we were tied with Kansas City. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so you're telling me the, Ray, the Rays have done a lot of different ways, but you just look at this year. It's not a small sample size anymore. We've played well over a month of baseball. Rays have had the best starting pitching. They have the best record. Yeah. They have the best wins percentage, winning percentage by starters. Who's got the lowest? Who didn't? Who didn't get a win from their starters for thirty-two starts? But then at two in a row, they'll be the ace. 
I, I talked I talked to the great Amelia Schimmel today. And it, it, you guys play the devil's advocate. But what about the time the guy throws seven innings? And There's the outliers. There was a Randy Johnson. The majority of the time when you pitch long in games, that means your team's doing well, you're doing well, and you get the win. Does it always work that way? Well, you don't always go out and throw four touchdown passes in a game and your team wins. That, that's well, that's very true. So it's like it's not always going to be perfect. But what about the individual? What you talk about the Randy Johnson? The Randy Johnson note. I, I saw that earlier. What was it? It was in 2001, Randy Johnson strikes out 20 Reds batters in nine innings with zero walks, but his team didn't score a run in the nine innings he pitched. <laughs> but that goes back to my, my old buddy Bill Romanowski. What would Bill Romanowski say to that? Bill Romanowski wouldn't sit there and go, oh, good for you. You didn't win, but – you, you pitched well. You should get so much credit. You know what Bill would say? Oh, I was going to say, guess what? Guess what? The other guys get paid too. Yeah. We, for some reason, baseball statisticians and baseball, they just want to count just this is what you did. This is the other, you're playing against other human beings. They're getting paid a lot of money too to play. So just because you went out and threw well doesn't mean the other, their guy can't go out and throw well too. But we got to give credit, so much credit for you just because you did well. It's like, well, great, but my point is, and I'm going to want to get into Dave Feldman with this, is we're going to have a really hard time figuring out who, how to get pitchers into the Hall of Fame years from now when they're they're going to have no career stats. I think they I, have no volume. I think I found it. Uh, As you said, you actually bet a dinner to prove my point that no one would even have 200 innings last year. I thought it was trending that way. I was, I was wrong. But we are trending that yeah. way. Well, all of a sudden, you got guys, if you have no innings, you can't accumulate any type of numbers. Yeah, like, okay, so Vida won 209 games. He pitched over 3,000 innings. He won a Cy Young and an MVP in the same year. Only one of 11 guys ever do that. He got 8.7% on the Hall of Fame ballot. Who is the next pitcher that's going to have 3,000 innings? Kershaw. Is Kershaw there? 3,000? I... I I know it's not going to be DeGrom. I mean, it's going to be interesting to look at DeGrom's career because DeGrom has no length of a career. He has a couple years, and those years weren't – they were incredible strikeout, didn't get hit, but he didn't pitch deep. He'll get there. Kershaw's at 2,623 and two-thirds. So, he'll so he's not still not – he's a few seasons away. Yeah, he's at least another two and a half. Kershaw is still two seasons away. Think of how long and how great Clayton Kershaw, and he's still not at 3,000. Kind of gives you an idea of how good Vita Blue was. What's Granky at? Granky's at okay. Granky's almost at thirty three hundred, so he's he's Cole's at like seventeen, and he's thirty two years old. This the, are you coming around now a little bit? That you're not going to have any numbers for these guys. I know that's why Garrett I'm, Cole is not getting three thousand innings. Fight a blue at three thousand innings. No, it, you're you right. guys are so obsessed. With the here and the now, and like we do it on MLB Network, who's the best pitcher now? And you'll be like, some of these guys that are on your best pitcher now list, they last two, three years. There's like no – no one's even thinking about a career and longevity. I mean, what, what, what makes athletes great? It's doing it more than just a couple of years. You've got to do it for more than a couple of years, and now you're looking at going – we used to not even think about innings pitched, right? We didn't even think about it. Like, we don't even like, if we just look at Baseball Hall of Famers, we don't say, how many innings did they pitch? Now that's going to be a big deal. 
yeah. it's going to be a really big deal because innings pitch allow you to get strikeouts, get get you all the numbers that you need to get to get you the war to get you into the Hall of Fame. I was looking at a guy, and before we get to Vida, I was looking at a guy who Julio Arias is a workhorse for the Dodgers the last few years. He won 20 games a few years ago, won 17 last year. The guy has 645 career innings. He's 26, so he, but he's coming nowhere close to 3,000. And he started when he was 19. Yeah, 15 games when he was 19. But he only, then he kind of a couple of years where it was kind of sporadic. I think he was hurt. Sent him down. Yeah. I mean, can you, I mean, how many innings did Vita Blue have by the time he was 26? Uh, when Vita was 26, he was at, let's see. Well, he threw 298 and a third that year. Uh, Vida from his first year in 1969 when he first when he first debuted to 1976 he won 110 games and he had 1,666 innings pitched. So you got Urias from the Dodgers. Is that 600 and something? 645. So Vida Blue, you look at your as you said, Urias is a big deal in LA, right? Yeah. Won 20 games and 18 the next year. Those don't wins don't matter. So say. Vita Blue, by the time he's the same age as Urias, has over a thousand more innings, and he has twenty eighty nine complete games. This, this. I'll be retired, but hopefully you're still in the business, so I can call you up and say I told you so. How many complete career complete games does Hoyle Urias have? I'll go up two, none. Is it really that? Well, I mean, it's because it, well, we got to get to that bullpen of the uh, that great bullpen of the Dodgers. Yeah, but how, okay, well, one last one. Then we promise we'll get to Vida. How many career complete games does Zach Greinke have? <sighs> Probably not a lot. Remember, Greinke started pitching for the Royals when he, when, in 2004 when he was 20. I'm gonna say not a lot. 17. Vida had 89 before he turned when when he was in his age 26 year. Uh do you know who is the color commentator for the Oakland Athletics on television? Uh, that'd be Dallas Braden. Dallas Braden has more complete games than Jacob DeGrom. Fact. That's fact. Dallas Braden. How crazy is that? It is. Every time you say that, it makes me think. I mean, Dallas is a good pitcher for the A's, but we look at DeGrom as a – Historic. Well, I, I won't say it, but Tim Kirkson, no, he won't say it either. There are people that are out there who go, He's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's the best pitcher we've ever saw. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, when you throw that hard and your slider's 92, and, yes, DeGrom, hell on wheels for this period of time. But the problem is you trained him like that, it, his body can't take it. Yeah. His body, he's already had Tommy John. He's got a hurt elbow again. He's had the scapula problem. Clearly his body can't take that type of pressure on it over and over and over again. What if he would have pitched like would DeGrom where would DeGrom be in his career if he took it like Verlander? It, where he wasn't trying to throw from the first inning to whatever all out every Verlander was brilliant. Verlander would li live at a miles per hour where he wasn't maxing out and he would max out later on when he needed it. Yeah, and also I don't, I'm I'm not using this as a thing, but DeGrom didn't start pitching in the majors so he's 26. So imagine if he didn't take it, you know, as they say, balls to the wall every time he goes out there and he actually pitched like Verlander. And he actually wasn't 26 years old. He would probably have a nice little longevity to his career, but he's just trying to go 100 miles an hour every time he's out there, and here he is on the injured list yet again. He's made like 44 starts in four years or something like that. They're going to have to – somebody with biomechanics, they're going to have to say, okay, listen, 
your your theory of throw less is going to protect this guy. These guys is wrong. The theory is going to be not expecting max max on everything, breaking balls, fastballs, learning to get back to throwing at, at a pace your body can take, and go max when you need it. Yeah, not going max hell on wheels every single pitch, every single start. Your body can't sustain it. All righty. We got a wonderful opportunity. I, I, We knew he wasn't doing well, but had no idea this would be the last time we would speak with Vita Blue. Uh, and I believe this is his last official sit-down interview that he did. He may have talked to some reporters after, but when you sit down, a uh, formal inter- interview, this might have been the last one he ever did. And I, like I said, I've known Vita Blue since the 90s when I first got in this business. Uh, always treated me with such respect as a young guy talking baseball with him. I did some shows with him on KMBR. Uh, I've done some TV with him. I've known Vita Blue my entire professional career. And Vita is just the – he was the best. And, you know, I always had so much respect the standpoint that Vita was a regular dude, but yet when he was a player, he was a star. He was a star player. Here is our conversation about the 1973 team. What was it? Four weeks ago. April 15th. So yeah, not even not even a month ago. April 15th. A's Hall of Famer Vita Blue. We all know the greatness of Vita Blue, and we're celebrating the 1973 World Series champions. You were such a huge part. You think about that year. You won 20 games. You guys nice. won the World Series. Nice. And it was the second straight year winning the World Series for you. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, I think, Chris, I was turning 23 that July, so pretty cool. And in my wildest dreams, of course, when you in the minor leagues, you want to make it to the majors. And once you get to the majors, what's next? You want to win the World Series. That's every player's dream, and mine's was no different. But to do it one, two, three uh, years in a row is pretty cool. And uh, we played a pretty decent Mets team. I think that was the last time Willie Mays wore a baseball uniform. Yeah. Yeah. And it was sad to see him go because he's my childhood idol, along with the Aaron's and Frank Robinson's. And, of course, let's not forget Mr. Robinson himself. Yeah. So uh, pretty cool, man. I enjoyed the ride. And uh, – Thanks for honoring us today, and thanks for letting me get a little FaceTime. Well, you think about where you were at this point, right? 71, then 72, you win the World Series. Now you win it again. So people thought, ah, the A's got lucky in 72 against the Reds. Now they weren't saying that. You won two straight World Series. You go to another one, win again in 74. But what was that thought process, validating it and doing it again? I don't know, man. Like I said, I was too young to figure out what the heck was going on. Life was, was just going too good. All I know, I was enjoying <laughs> the ride. and uh, uh, We had a great ball team, but I think the Mets might have matched up against us with their pitcher with Tom Seaver, Tuck McGraw, Jerry Kuzman. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Craig Swan? I think it was Swan. I can't think of his first name, but uh, they matched up pretty good with us. With us. But uh, we had Catfish Hunter and Raleigh Fingers and Blue Moon Odom and Paul Lindblad and Daryl Nose and a guy named Vita Blue. So 
again, man, in, in your wildest dreams, you don't think about winning it. Then you think about repeating. And uh, I, I know this for a fact. You mentioned the word luck in your when you asked your question. I know it wasn't luck. It was all skill, baby. Well, I remember our buddy Ray Fossey said when he came here, this was his first year with the A's. He thought we were crazy. You know, he, Dick Green told him, <laughs> oh, we're going to win the World Series. And, you know, Ray's coming from Cleveland where they were out of first place as of game one of the season, yeah, right? Yeah, 80,000 so people opening day and after that, see you later. Yeah, and he, he said it was unbelievable the confidence you guys had and the belief that you guys had in yourselves. I think what might have scared him was that we fought amongst ourselves. And there was always a little brawl between this guy and that guy, that guy and this guy. But uh, when it came down to crossing that white line, we were all business. And you have to give a shout out to our managers. And you have to give credit to Charlie Finley. He's the one that assembled, assembled us and put us together. Uh, may he rest in peace. But uh, the man knew what he was doing, I know that. Uh, he would call me in the wintertime and say, <clears throat> Vida, what do you think of Don Bell and Mike? Hey, man, he's a tough out for me. Please, now you're a teammate. <laughs> Don't say anything until like 4 o'clock and there's going to be a press release. I'm like, what? Hey, are you talking about now? What the heck are you talking about, man? But uh, we got to give credit to the ownership. Got to give credit to the coaches. And they put us in a position to win and be successful. Uh each and every day, and uh, it worked out for us. But uh, be one of the the Yankees are the only other team to three peak. Then the Yankees win it five years in a row at one time. They won five years in a row, yeah. But to be amongst those dynasties of the Yankees, it's pretty cool to uh, compare, not compare, but be in the same uh, sense as when you talk about teams winning the winning the championship more than twice. Yeah, it's just the A's and the Yankees that do a three-peat. And, you know, now when you get together, we just talked to Joe Rudy about this. I mean, you guys were more than just teammates. You guys were like brothers. What's it like to still get together at this point? Well, we're getting up in age. I just heard me grunting, getting out of the little, little cart that they provided me with. Uh, but it's always nice to see each other. And, of course, coming over on the bus, we're reminiscing about this and that. And I'm amazed the memory of some of these guys have talking about a certain game at bat or pitcher or situation in which uh, we were confronted with. But, uh, you know, the game of baseball has kept me young in a sense in itself, Chris, because I can't remember certain pitching situations. But when I'm when I'm going to the grocery store, I forget to get the eggs. I'm not sure why that works, but. I can remember baseball stuff 20 years ago. I can't remember to get the eggs at Safeway. So I'm not sure how it works like that, but that's the way it is. Well, I'll tell you what, I've known you for a long time and all the years after your career in the media and the television, you talk about one of the great baseball lives. You've had one of them and you're truly an A's great and everybody in the Bay Area, you're one of the few guys that play for both teams and, uh, you're always going to be remembered as absolute greatness in this I area. I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world, man. It's an experience that a kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, uh, left town and seeking his fortune. And uh, I'm on playing with house money. Well, it's always great to Thank see you, my Chris, friend. my pleasure, man. The great Vita Blue. How cool is that?
He will be missed. He was a wonderful man. You know, beyond baseball, we can sit here and talk about World Series, MVP, Cy Young, all that. He was a class act. Treated everybody with respect. Was very humble. And you talk about how great the player was, you can also talk about how great the man was. Think about how nice he was to you. Yeah. I didn't know about it as well as I know some other people, but I got to know about it over the last couple of years. Yeah, he was salt of the earth, and he will be missed. And that's why we wanted to dedicate this show to the Ace Hall of Famer, because he deserved it. We want to do a tribute show. I know Ace Yankees is important, but uh, he deserves something like this, because he was a great A and he was a great person. It was an honor to be a part of this today with all the great guests. When you think of Raleigh Fingers, Joe Rudy, Marty Lurie, David Feldman, Dave Stewart, and Vita himself stopping by. Yeah, We're going to have Dick Green tomorrow. The great Dick Green. Special stuff for a very special man. Thank you for watching A's Cast Live. A's Total Access, getting you ready for A's and Yankees, next right here on A's Cast. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.